Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Greetings, guys. Welcome back to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast 2022. First episode, so nice to be back. As always, from Boston, new location, but still Boston. This is Scott. And uh, from the same location in Los Angeles, uh, a basement somewhere in San Pedro, this is Jim. <laughs> so it's kind of ominous from the basement of San Pedro. That's a good that, that, That's a title for a good horror film. It's unspecific, yes. <laughs> but so good to be back. Um, yeah. It's been a, been a while, man. Um, I think last episode we did was with, with Greg Mank doing Bride of Frankenstein for our Halloween release. And... Um, you know, it's been all quiet on the West. Well, not quite quiet, I guess, quiet on the podcast front. But right. I know we've personally been extremely busy and hectic doing a whole bunch of stuff, but really so good to be back here. Yeah, life is uh, life has picked up for both of us, right? I mean, so you so you uh, you moved into a new house. I did. Busy moving into a new house, um, busy with work, the kiddos, the whole thing. So yeah, life, I guess I'll call it real life. But um, yeah, I had to be an adult for a little while and it, it wasn't always a good feeling. I like being a, you know, little, <sighs> yeah, a little yeah, horror like- kid and disappearing and with my Frankenstein and Dracula and doing my podcast, but I had to grow up for a few months, but um, I'm back. Did you do the grown up stuff? Yeah. I, um, I didn't have to grow up. I got to go shoot a, uh, a horror movie. I wrote and directed. It's a, it's called the beast inside. It's an exorcism film. It's about a poor woman who's possessed by a demon and is forced to exercise herself because nobody believes her. So uh Shot that with my uh, oftentimes collaborator, Sadie Katz, uh, acting and producing in it. And that is, uh, you know, going to be coming out in 2022 at some point. We're already in post on it. That's so good. You've been posting some great, you know, behind the scenes photos and um, yeah. you know, just the, the after party. It, 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 was, it was hectic, but it was fun. And, and it came out looking fantastic. I, I, my, my DP Chad is just a, a killer guy. So, yeah, I'm anxious for everyone to see it. Oh, it looks fantastic. And if you're, I mean, if you listen to Borgo Pass, look for Jim Towns, his personal account and grab some of those photos, man. It looks like a, a total blast. So, but um, yeah, we were, you know, long discussions probably the last month or so. How do we get back into the swing of things? And I think it was kind of mutual agreement that we had to hit it with, uh, you know, one of the home runs, one of the, one of the big ones. So we're back with called Dracula 2.0, other, <laughs> uh, AKA The Mummy, 1932. There's a lot of the similarities. Mummy. I thought I was watching the Dracula sometimes, but this is The Mummy, 1932. Yes, the mummy. It's it's and it's ninety years old this year. So uh, you know, it's kind of an anniversary for us. So it's kind of fitting that we tackle it. Definitely. I mean, it's so funny when we started doing the podcast last year. Obviously, you know, twenty twenty one, and it was the ninety year anniversary of you know Dracula, Frankenstein. Uh, just so many fun things to talk about, and so great for us to get, you know, I guess formally into this this horror this horror verse doing the podcast and got to meet so many people celebrating the ninetieth anniversary and and everything. So very very cool. Mummy 1932, starring, of course, Boris Koloff as Adith Bay slash Imhotep slash The Mummy. Plays a, a couple of different roles here. Yeah. Uh, the wonderfully enchanting Zita Johan as Helen Grosvenor, a.k.a. I guess Princess Aksanaman. Our favorite, the man, the myth, the legend, David Manners as Frank Wemple. <laughs> His daddy, Joseph Wemple, played by the great Arthur Byron. And, of course, past favorite, Edward Van Sloan as Dr. Miller, a.k.a. Van Helsing, kind of. Right. Anyway, 
directed by Cal Freund, who I think we're going to have a lot to talk about between himself and um, Ms. Jahan, maybe a little bit. I think so. <laughs> and of course, um, the always uh, legendary, great Jack Pierce doing the makeup, which we'll get into as well. Um, you know, obviously, some of the stills of the mummy in that sarcophagus with, you know, Caliph and the wrap bandages and everything. I mean, he's so iconic and, you know, an arrow posters all over the world and Unfortunately, we don't get to see him in that, you know, in set makeup too much in this film, but we'll we'll get there. But needless yeah. to say, just a wonderful job by by Pierce and of course Karloff and those amazing features of his. It's 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 a it's an iconic thing, and and really not much had preceded or had, had preceded it uh, uh, up till the, up till this and stuff. And it, it again, it's I was talking about templates, and it 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 definitely if if there was you know, a, a makeup look for this beforehand, this one definitely cemented our pop culture, you know, theory of what a resurrected mummy looks like, right? It did. It gets back into it a little bit more with, you know, Karis, you know, in those, the forties the mummy movies, but yeah. Yeah. We yeah. should go on to with, with, with Lon Chain Jr. And then with Christopher Lee and everyone else, Mr. Right. Doo and everything. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. The, the iconic mummy look and yeah so we can get right into it so starting with 1931's Dracula and Frankenstein obviously had universal you know really out of gates and and hot and making a lot of money and um you know obviously the the studio heads were very very impressed and you know loving the, the money being made by um the horror uh genre the horror movies so what do we do next so we just said that you know not too long before this was um the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb so what a great um great way to um you know Spin off that, and let's do a mummy movie. So, actually, yeah. the first one that it actually isn't based on a, on a book. So, if you think of you know Dracula, of course, of Bram Stoker and and Frank Samari, so Shelley, this movie not based on really anything. Yeah, it's kind of freestyle, and it kind of it kind of um, based on you know, sort of a, a appropriated history and kind of legend, uh, kind of misconstrued legend, uh, uh, you know, tweaked to, to, to the purposes of the film. Um, so, you know, um, a lot of listeners will, will have read that, uh, you know, Universal was looking for a follow-up project for, for Karloff after the success of, of Frankenstein, and they developed a project called Cagliostro with him in, in, attached. And, it, and it, I think it, it had this idea of this undying guy who, you know, found his love resurrected and wanted her. Um, they bring on John Balderston, who wrote, who was one of the writers, at least on, on Dracula. And Balderston had been a, a newspaper reporter, and he had actually covered the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb. Um, and he's supposedly the one who brought, you know, had the idea and brought in this, this Egyptian idea into it that, that was definitely all the rage at the, at the time. Um, it was a, a media, you know, you know, frenzy about, about this. And then, you know, and, and there were rumors about a curse on Tutankhamun's tomb. Kuden Tommen, Tuden Commons too, <laughs> um, uh, that, that did affect uh, Lord Carnarvon, who funded the dig, died. Um, and I think a couple other people died. I don't think Howard Carter, who actually was the head archaeologist, I don't think it struck him, but it struck other people and stuff. So it was just enough that, you know, that, 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 that it, it awoke this idea in the public's mind. And, and this movie really like, like, like jump springs off of, off of that thing that already existed and stuff and, and really took advantage of it and, and and you know made a great success of it it did i mean like you said jim just never mind the makeup but just a lot of the tropes with them the mummy curses and um you know unearthing you know the sacred objects and you know of course like all you know the, a lot of the mummies movies to follow there's always that you know naysayer he's always the you know the, like 
Friday the 13th, like Ralph, always warning, don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. There's always somebody in these right. movies that knows way more. He's always a local, or he or she, a local Egyptian, trying to protect their own. And we've said it before on other podcasts, you cannot, I, mean, I, I always kind of have, I have a soft spot for the people that are trying to protect their own. You know, you don't yes. like to see outsiders <laughs> coming into, you know, Los Angeles, California, digging up, you know, Jim Town's sacred dead or Scott Kelly's sacred dead. You right. I want that. So I, I always have a soft spot for these folks that are, you know, trying to protect their own here. Yeah, because we I mean we've talked about that a little bit on 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 when we did the mummy's hand. We sort of did these these mummy movies a little out of order. Um but but yeah when we did uh mummy's hand um uh the idea that that there's this entitlement and I'll get into it as we're as we're going into the movies and stuff, but there's this entitlement of in this in this case you know English uh persons um that they feel like you know because they're tea drinkers and they drive automobiles and things that they have the right to go to some other country and exhume people's dead and and obviously that that is what happened and it's taken a long time for the Cairo Museum to try to reacquire a lot of the artifacts that were taken and we could say plundered out of their country. Sure. These are their ancestors, right? It's weird. It is weird. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see both takes of it and whatnot. So yeah, we'll get right into it. So we're o- opening up with a couple of uh, scrolls and actually literally learn about something called the Scroll of of Troth, which kind of comes back into the um, the climax of the movie. So scroll of um, Toth, I think Toth, the Scroll of Toth that brings yeah. it back into the. Um, climax of the movie and uh, i think they have a little quote here the death you know death is but a doorway into a new life so we end up learning later on the film that this the scroll of troth is kind of the gateway of of the mummy keep kind of the you know keeping him um you know i'll say undead in the world of the living so yes remember that and come the final climax so yeah opening before they invented tana leaves yes exactly (laughs) before the tana leaves we had the scroll of toth we had the scroll yes before the tana there was scroll um yeah it, it it comes up it's neat it comes up as a, as a legend uh at the beginning credits it, it says oh amun ra oh god of gods death is but the doorway to new life we live today we shall live again in many forms shall we return oh mighty one um and what i love is is that in the context of the film the 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 the, the script of the of the scroll is is printed a lot you know on the screen but when in a few minutes we get to the the thing the scene the um the the young archaeologist guy he, he doesn't read it out loud so it's like the film is somehow protective of actually saying those words out loud like the the thing that wakes up the mummy in the film it's like the film outside of itself is a little cautious about having an actor actually speak it just in case I I love that stuff I love it when it kind of the the fiction and and you know myth of, of the of the film itself bleeds up a little bit into the filmmaking. I think it's just a neat touch. Right. You don't want to say Candyman five times in the mirror, just in case. I'm sure nothing's gonna happen, but dude, exactly. Dude, I've I've met Tony Todd and I and he's the nicest guy in the world, and I still would not say Candyman five times. <laughs> I'm just saying. But it's it's so true. I mean, he's yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So we've got um 1921 Egypt, and we've got um, a British company uh, led by Sir Joseph Wemple, um, Dr. Miller, who is um, the editor of Sloan, and their assistant, Ralph, who's kind of the younger, um, a little bit green, very eager to get oh. his hands dirty, eager to open up every box, every nook and cranny. And, um, you know, poor Sir Joseph is trying to be, he's the, he's a scholar. He has been, you know, there's a passing line. I've been out in this desert for 10 years. Nobody wants to open up you know, these boxes and these, you know, stuff yeah. more than me, but there's a time and a place for everything. So, you know, relax, young man. Um, yeah, be, be patient, which, which is not the young man's uh, forte typically. Right. 
So by the time the movie opens up, we have already discovered, they have already discovered um, the mummy who's named Imhotep. And the doing a really cool scene of, you know, up close and personal of Kalaf we see in the full iconic mummy gear. If the, you know, posters of the mummy, if you have the DVD of the mummy, this is the scene. The one scene in the whole movie where we see Kalaf in this amazing Jack Pierce makeup. Yeah. this. I mean, it, it's it's funny, like, if I can use a gross expression i mean the film does kind of blow its wad pretty early it, it not that the these the latter 60 minutes of the film is not wonderful because it is and it's it's a masterpiece and this is why we're talking about it it's, it's and and carl's performance as artith bay you know in in his incognito guys is is great and the makeup is great on him but it does uh it does splash you very early on i keep using bad metaphors um <laughs> Um, uh, with with this amazing amazing uh, uh, piece of, of makeup, there was there was you hear things like it was it was four hours or ten hours or thirty eight hours or you know I mean it, it's hard to gauge you know from the different stories, but it was a long laborious and uncomfortable and, and uh, experience for Karloff, which is which is probably why someone Freud or or the producers or somebody kind of I think had this idea of maybe maybe not subjecting Karloff to this kind of extensive makeup for the entire film um be because just the nature of the the makeups and the and the and the chemicals and stuff he used I, I can't imagine Karloff I feel like this would have damaged Karloff's skin and 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 his respiratory system and body if he'd had to do this more than yeah. once or, or twice. No, I mean, there were, you know, interviews with, with Kalaf saying it was so much worse than, you know, even the monster's makeup. And this yeah, is going back yeah. to even Frankenstein 31, which was pretty, a pretty nasty undertaking. He said this was the worst. And really, if you think about it in the film, he only has one, there's only one shot in the movie of him in this mummy, this mummy garb. And we'll get to it very closely here, but it's just really him opening his eyes. And yes, that's it. Yes. To, to the point where I think I'm watching it right now. And I, I would, I, and I think I read too that some of the wide shots I think is a dummy. I don't think right. there's there's few wide shots of Edward Van Sloan and the Ralph character and stuff. And the and the character in the background doesn't quite look totally right. I, I think they possibly used a life cast of Karloff's face and then and then wrapped a mannequin of some kind or something in this kind of thing. So just so Karloff didn't have to stand there under the hot lights, not breathing, right? For, right. For the entire days of shooting. This is definitely, and I'll I'll try to find them again. I know I have seen I don't know if it was Pinterest or whatever. There's some shots of the dummy. It's really cool. It looks just like Kalaf. It's a great deal. But oh, it's yeah, great. And little... it actually really looks like a mummy because it's it some does. kind of, you know, if you've anyone who's gone to a museum and seen a, a real mummified person, like they, they've shrunken. I mean, they're not, you know, a full-sized kind of creature. Yeah, human. Oh, it does. It looks like just a dried piece of fruit. And it looks great. Yeah. Like you said, Jim, all those wide shots where we have yeah. you know, Ben Sloan and, you know, Wemple. That's just, that's a dummy hanging out. Yeah. And really it's, I mean. And even you know, the sarcophagus is statues face the you know the carved face of the sarcophagus that he's in you know the, the cover looks like Karloff. they really made it look like him it's really just you know they, they they took their care uh uh to 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 really set this up as a believable uh character and mythology and stuff because because i think x amount of people again we go back to this thing where they're introducing this myth to some people again it was i think the idea of Tutankhamun and, and egyptian mummies was kind of known but it wasn't as quite totally as prevalent. So you've got to imagine X amount of audience members watching this are like, it's a mummy. What's a mummy? How's this going? You know, what, yeah, what exactly. is and so they're having to kind of set it up. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if a lot of parallels with this movie and Dracula. So if you, you know, if you've seen Edward Van Sloan and Dracula thing, he basically playing the exact same role. So this time he's called a Dr. Miller. So really this whole expedition is being led by Joseph Wemple, Sir Joseph Wemple, who's a you know noted 
archaeologist and whatnot. So basically, Wemple calls in this Dr. Miller, played by Van Sloan, just as the authority figure. And right away, Wemple, I'm sorry, Miller, who knows again more than anybody, warns Wemple that this is not a good idea, that he's seen enough in this um in the unearthing of these relics that yeah. there's, there's a problem. They've read, you know, enough in, in the, in the box and that, in the copper box that there's probably, there's a curse that they should just, you know, put everything back in the ground, cover it up and go back to England. And he, of course, he respects the, he respects the, the, the dead, but he also respects the magic of this place that they're in, in a way that um, a, a more, the more clinical scientist like, like Wemple doesn't get. And it's funny. So, I mean, Miller, I'm assuming, is um, English. So, uh, usually in all the other mummy movies, if you think of, it's always, you know, an Egyptian, somebody, you know, who's, you know, born and raised and probably had multiple mm-hmm. generations, you know, in Egypt, you know, is kind of touting this, you know, the history of, of the curses. And right, everything. It's right. kind of interesting that this outsider, you know, this Englishman has full belief, you know, very much like Van, Van, um, Van Helsing a bit, that, you know, full belief in this, you know, call like mostly a cult. Yes. Yeah, he because he is he he is on that edge. He's 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 maybe too much of an academic. He's almost like delved deep into into things that that you know modern men, men don't believe in and stuff. And it, it's just you know it's just the character. It's the niche that Edward Van Sloan carved for himself in in Dracula and then in Frankenstein and then in this. He's always that guy ready to believe a little further than the common you know the common guy in his in his line of work and stuff. And he just he played it so well. He does all his roles. He kind of he rides that fine line of definitely somebody that you want to respect. He's certainly an academic, but there's also he's a little crazed. There's yeah, something yeah, yeah. not quite right. You know, you'd probably be a little bit nervous hanging around with this guy. Like, he'd probably be great yeah. to, you know, for to have a beer with. But to hang, you know, for a dark weekend, like the old dark house, you probably wouldn't want right. to hang around with Edward Van Sloan. Like, yeah. something might go he, wrong here. He's always dressed just a little bit out of date. You know, they'd always <laughs> dress him a little antique, like an older guy and stuff. Yeah. It's it's a neat, it's a neat. And, he always, and, and I think this is the one he sets up. He has the cool hat. Yeah, he's wearing yeah. it right now when he's talking to him outside to, under the stars of Egypt. And uh and they bring that back in, in Dracula's daughter to great effect. He, he always looks cool in the hat. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, the hat that wasn't in Dracula was all of a sudden in Dracula's daughter. That's all of a sudden. Yeah, he picks up the hat somewhere between the two <laughs> movies. Uh, between, between Lugosi getting staked and the cops showing up. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, as Jim had mentioned, so we've got this, this scene outside of the um, outside of the tomb between Wemple and, and Miller. And we've got young Ralph, young Ega Ralph, you know, inside just cannot wait to get inside this um copper box so opens it up and he finds a scroll the scroll of life and as jim mentioned earlier doesn't really quite um start you know reading it verbatim but he's kind of taking notes on a piece of paper and kind of mumbling this yeah. you know the lines off of uh, the scroll and he's and translating little- it from the the hieroglyphs Right, exactly, from the hieroglyphs. And this is when we start seeing um, the Kalaf mummy, you know, those eyes just slowly, yeah. slowly start opening yeah. up and you can see the light, you know, light shining into his pupils and just a great, great, great scene. This, I mean, the, the, there's so many amazing elements go, working in the scene. I mean, for starters, it, it's a, you, you know what's going to happen and it's inevitable. You, you know he's going to do it. You, he can't help himself. You just very quickly we've established this character and we understand that he he doesn't have the discipline you know and he's he can't help his, his curiosity um you know he's not evil or mean or, or sinister of intent or anything like that he's just he's just kind of the dummy right and eager, so right he's naive he's just yeah yeah there's an inevitability of of what's about to happen that we're watching and we're as an audience we're, we're powerless to stop we we just 
we have to, you know, it, it's, it's captured us. We're, we're glued to it. We're watching it. It's like, you know, it's a slow motion car crash. Right. Um, and Freud does it so well. He, they take their time so much. It's like a five minute scene with no, almost no dialogue, except for those, again, like you said, those little murmurings of him right. uh, translating the thing. And this slow, incredibly slow, languid oh opening of eyes and moving of arms and stuff on, on Karloff's thing. The, the, the self-control, the physical um, uh, uh, performance that he gives, the, 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 the you know, ancient slowness. You, you feel yeah. the idea of like the bones just starting to move again after centuries and centuries and thousands of years and stuff. It's, it's uh, I mean, it, as a scene by itself, I put the scene up against every other scene in another universal film this this is so expertly perfectly done and it's such a slow burn as you said jim every time i watch a scene i just want to jump off the couch like yeah what up you damn eye like it's just like this anticipation. It's, it's terrifying it's right behind him it's just oh my god and there's almost no music that's the other thing there's, there's no music to help it it just plays almost in silence which is eerie as heck to a modern you know ear wow so slow and then you've got like i'm assuming like they use like the pen lights right into his pupils so you don't yeah. even before you see like the eyes kind of open you could just see that flash of light yeah. coming from the eyelids and it's such that, a wonderful that, scene oh yeah yeah um you know and and uh, we've talked before about you know Karloff had uh eastern indian um uh ancestry uh he you know he was he was born an, an english citizen um but there was eastern indian uh, heritage on one of his parents' side. Um, and, and so Karloff, you know, in, in addition to being a very, very skinny man at this point, still, uh, uh, and, and a relatively tall and skinny man, um, he did have these features. We'll get into more when we talk about Arthur Bay that, that, that did give him a look that he could, he could with some authenticity play a character like this, as opposed to, and I'm not knocking it, but say Christopher Lee, who, or, or, or let's talk about uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Right. Who maybe, Lon Chaney Jr. might have been a little stocky for a mummy. <laughs> I yeah, still love him. In, like in, dra- in, I mean, with Dracula, you know, yeah. you know he just, that's kind of the, the, the whack on him. It's like, he's definitely like this, you know, Midwestern American. He's like a, I mean, yeah, he's like a build like a linebacker, which, you know, I, I, again, if you've seen mummies, you know, Egyptian people in, in, in the, you know, the, the, the era during they were mummifying people were not, they're not big people by, by nature. They're, they're five foot something if they're lucky. Right. That's why you know, Christopher Lee, I always really enjoyed his take on this. So you've got like the full mummy gob and he's like the Terminator. He's like, he yeah, he's a, like action figure mummy, right? Totally. <laughs> but he is like, he's, but he's like a very, I mean, he's not a thin guy, but he, I mean, he's a big, tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. But to your point, like Cheney was like, this mummy swallowed Kalos mummy. And now you have <laughs> Lon Cheney Jr. <laughs> At a late lunch. <laughs> Um, put down, put down a few uh, uh, beers and stuff. You, you know, the Egypt, they, they talk about the Egyptians uh, inventing beer. They did have a beer type substance, but it was this thing apparently that they fed to, um, which, contrary to popular knowledge, um, workers built most of the pyramids, not slaves. Um, and the Egyptian, you know, people in charge of building the, the pyramids would feed them this thing that, it, if you have to imagine something that's between, halfway between beer and bread, it's like a soupy mixture, right? But it's alcoholic. And that was their main ration when building pyramids. So they'd kind of get them juiced up a little bit and then be like, all right, let's haul some big blocks. Well, they did a great job if they were a little motivation, right? Because there is some great, there's some great handiwork in those. those Good joinery, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. back to the thing. So, um, Tana yes. so we know Tana had a lot of calories looking at Cheney, but oh, I'm sorry. Let's get back to the room. right. <laughs> so Crazy Ralph, we're going to call him in this Crazy movie. Ralph. <laughs> crazy Ralph. Throwback to Friday the 13th. So, right. yeah, Ralph, um, as he's kind of, um, you know, reading the scroll and taking his hieroglyphic notes, 
uh, looks at you, sees movement, or hears movement. You just hear like the scratching on the floor, which is fantastic. So you never actually see the mummy, you know, get out of the tomb or anything. You just hear the scratching. And yeah. Ralph looks up and loses his shit. He just, I mean, after all the silence that we've we've built in now, you know, we we he he just gives this hideous scream, and and you as you're watching, you see his mind just sort of snap, right? It just, yeah, oh, just this maniacal laugh, like he's almost choking on his laughter, like the, it was like yeah. the Joker, like yeah, oh, he right. cannot catch his breath, and just a great great performance, you know, I think of like yeah, Dwight yeah. Fry. And some of his nasty laughs from Dracula, you know, this is, this yeah. is a great one. Um, yeah, it's true. And, and when it does, it just comes out of nowhere and it's, and it's very loud. It just shocks you out and stuff like that. And, but, but in this whole scene, like we, like you said, like we, we see, we see Carlos eye open. We see a, the bandaged hand move a little bit. Then we just see a hand with a, with a signet ring kind of, you know, t- reach out for the scroll. We see the guy freak out. And then we just see like the bandages walking out, you know, that he's trailing behind him, walk out the thing. We never really see the thing. And that's, you know, it's the artistry of the thing. I mean, maybe if we'd seen him move, it would have ruined the illusion. I don't know. Right. Again, the scariest things are sometimes the things you don't see, you know, it's in, yes. it's from your imagination. You, you, you create in your mind what you think the hell that looked like. And, you know, Ralph, all he kind of says, so Wemple, Joe Wemple hears him, you know, hysterically laughing and going mad. And like you said, it just says mind absolutely snapping. Yeah. And he just said, Oh, he decided, he decided to go for a little walk. Uh, you, you should have seen the look on his face and yes. um, just a wonderful scene at this point. Wemple, I'm assuming, you know, Miller has gone back to England or whatever. He's, he has left the site. So now it's basically Wemple alone with Ralph. And now it's basically, you know, Wemple alone with this man who's now broken one, and one, one and a half men. He's one um, half man, right? And now he's, you know, kind of playing over this discussion. He just had with Miller saying, you know, crap, was he, was he onto something like yeah. number one, where, where, where'd this mummy go? And they don't they, really, they don't, they don't really put it together. They, 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 they talk about in, in the next coming scene, they talk about, you know, how it just disappeared. Um, they, cause no one witnessed it come to life except the guy. And then the guy goes crazy and they, they say like, he, he was laughing when they found him. He died laughing in asylum, you know? Right. So, right. Exactly. It's like, Oh, we just, he was, the mummy was stolen. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the sense. idea is that the mummy you was know, stolen. Yeah. There was one entrance into the tomb, which Wemple and Merle were, were sitting at. So the mummy wasn't stolen. So it's, it's a little bit ambiguous, a little bit. I don't know. Like, yeah. And I guess they kind of played off like, Oh, Joseph Wemple has never spoken about this again. Like you've had to wonder what, what does he think happened? Yes. Um, yes. Well, they, they have to just find, I think for their own, sanity but also possibly to maintain their careers they have to find a um you know for the museums and stuff they have to find a uh a uh logical explanation for what happened obviously sure so so we cut to 1932 we are in real real life time at least 90 years ago but yeah Yeah. 1932 when we meet fellow past favorite mr david manners who is um (laughs) playing the part of frank wemple frank Uh, wemple on the younger archaeologist who is not quite as um i don't know astute as his dad he's having a hard time so he too is on an expedition with a professor pearson um somewhere in egypt and hasn't found anything they've been on an expedition for a while and they're kind of down in their luck haven't found a, a darn thing and basically packing up and heading back to england with a tail between their legs yeah we have a we have a great scene with you know i mean they do a little expository stuff about oh well you know one day one time your dad found too much and you know he, he left in, in, uh, the the desert he never came back um uh but uh but mostly it's a lot of frank wimple kind of whining about how hard archaeology is <laughs> You know, as a, as a character, uh, the David Manners character, Frank, um, you know, he's he's definitely more athletic than he is intellectual. 
Um, but he definitely amplifies this, um, this arrogance we're talking about, about, um, you know, even after later on when they find the princess, you know, he says like, oh, it's, it's such a, it's so unfair the Cairo Museum getting to keep right. the mummy that we, that we dug up with our hard work. Yeah. He doesn't quite, he did, you know, he doesn't get this. And, and, and that was more the thinking of the time anyway. So, you know, finders keepers, I guess. He is. He's the consummate whiner in this, just kind of the crybaby. I mean, not, not the leading man. And unfortunately it seems like man has gets a lot of these roles. He, um, he, I mean, this is his, at least his second in a row. I mean, of the, of the big three, he has, you know, Stracula this and then, and then um, Black Cat, you know, like I've, we, we've already covered Black Cat and the Black Cat, he's definitely slightly the most proactive, but but he always played these characters that were just like a couple steps behind the plot. You know, they're, they're constantly trying, they're, they're the doubters, right? They're the ones who have to, uh, you know, do the legwork to get caught up to, to believe that what's happening is really happening beyond their experience and understanding of reality and magic and, you know, physics and everything else. Um, he has to get to the point that he, along with the audience, like, right. He's kind of the audience. Like he, he has to believe that a mummy can come back to life and walk around and wear clothes and, you know, not want to shake hands. Right now. I mean, he's just, he's, he's just, he's very childish in this movie. And yeah. Yeah. Again, just between just the complaining and then even just like, you know, falling for this girl within 10 seconds and, you know, throwing right. his, his well, we'll get there, but yeah. anyway, so we meet, yeah. Frank went bowling, <laughs> which, which doing those scenes probably for, for some actors would not have been the least pleasant experience of all time with, with Cedar Johan. I don't think, I don't think David Manners got as much out of it as, as some other actors would have because of his persuasions, but you can see why he just got frustrated with, with Hollywood and, and said, see ya after, after a certain point, because he just kept getting these thankless kind of roles. And I, I can understand the frustration. And yeah, I mean, honestly, God, you have to commend him because he, he made a lot of money in Hollywood. I mean, you think back to Dracula yeah. and I'm assuming yeah. that this film too, Manners made, he was one of the top paid gentleman as far as i know and in, in most of his movies like he really was he was up there with you know Kaloff and black cat dracula he was paid i think twice as much as, as legosi if memory serves me correctly so i mean he, he walked away from a very lucrative career so i think the guys running the lights were paid more than legosi at this point but yeah that's it's true. true that's true whoever he had negotiating for him man yeah. um we should get back to this so yes um they're here. They they they're at the close of their year of excavations here in Egypt, very very close to it, and they they found Diddley. So they're frustrated and hot and you know ready to to. They're facing the idea that they're going to have to go back and say all this money that the museum or the British Museum or something has spent um, on this exhibition was was for nothing, and that reflects on them. And you know it's it's not good. When you know, luckily for them, haha. <laughs> um, this guy just shows up out of nowhere. Timing is everything. Knock, knock, knock on the door. And who would it be? Same character, different different name. So Ardeth Bay now. So, of course, the mummy no longer in his wraps, whole thing. So Ardeth Bay, um, I don't know, veteran of the uh, Egyptian nightlife, comes walking in the door and has evidence that they are very, very close to the tomb of Princess Aksanamen. And they leave it at yes. that. So, of course, these two gentlemen being, you know, Wemple and, and Pearson, who are starving, do not want to go back to England with, uh, you know, basically nothing to show for it, have now been given this, you know, this gold mine that they're now, you know, just feet away from this, you know, tomb of this princess. And per um, per Adith Bay, within a day, they should have access, so they should have uncovered the tomb at this point. So, of course, yeah. full speed ahead, get the work is going, and let's let's start digging. Yeah. This scene where. Um I just want to pause for a second. The scene where where uh, the door opens and and Karloff's standing there 
Um, first of all, it's it's very similar. It, it's actually the same two shots as Frankenstein. It's 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 the the character kind of silhouetted in the doorway and very much filling the, the entire doorway. He's so nice. tall. And then it cuts to an extreme close-up where we get to really see the makeup and stuff. You know, he does he doesn't back into the room like like the monster does. But except for that, it's actually it's like a neat quote. It's like a little repeat of like here he is. So there's what's great is like there's no doubt that this guy is a villain. Like you know, first of all, it's Karloff, so we all know he's going to be the villain, right? But but you know, the the, the American diggers are so are so jealous that they they don't get the. I, I, and maybe they write it off to to again this this idea of like the cultural differences and stuff like that, but they don't get the the obvious latent menace that Ardeth Bay has all about him. Right. He's so damn sinister. He's just well, great in the fez and everything like that. But it's a great costume. Well, that's why I think they do a great job with the script because these guys really do feel like they are they're you know they they're down they're they're out they're embarrassed to go back to England. They are they would yeah. do anything yeah. to come back with any kind of, you know, piece of, of treasure, anything. Right. Especially for Frank, who's, you know, his dad is this well-renowned or world-renowned archaeologist. He doesn't want to go back to daddy with nothing. This might've been his first, you know, trip on the desert on his own. And, you know, for him to come back with, with nothing would have been a complete embarrassment. So I think that, you know, the script does a really nice job to your point, Jim, this guy walks in the door and he looks like hell frozen over, (laughs) but because they are so desperate to come back with, you know, something, yeah, and basically they are. I mean, within ten seconds, like, yep, let's do this. Yes. So, so in how how much time goes between the two digs? Is it is it t- ten years? It's ten. They say ten years. I mean, the it's, it's, it's a twenty two to thirty two. Yeah, thirty two. Yeah. So, so in ten years, this this resurrected mummy, uh, who you know, when they mummified everybody, just just a you know, Jim, Jim always likes to bring in the fun, gross reality facts. Um, <laughs> you know, the 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 first thing they would do with the body, they'd shove a red hot poker up your nose. And 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 melt your brain and swirl it around and let it leak out. They would take out most of your major organs. They take out your heart, kidneys, livers, and other things, and put them in canopic jars. These little, those, you see those little jars with the, the heads of different animal gods um, in in museums and in collections. Um, they would eviscerate the character. So you know, may, the, the idea that they've that they've created, we'll get into later, is that, is that uh, Imhotep wasn't given that normal type of burial he was he was buried alive so but still my point being like in 10 years this resurrected mummy has learned english you know learned to some degree you know modern custom um you know figured out how to operate within you know the modern world and stuff and then and also waited and waited for the moment to to put a plan into place that that you know you know compromises the, the british and everything like that he's really like a mastermind and he's taking his time waiting for this it's really neat it is, yeah. And to your point, we'll learn later. Spoilers, on. sorry. <laughs> no, but yeah, we'll learn later on the film. Kind of, there's a. I mean, may, I think maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is him by the pool, and you get this his whole backstory between him yeah. and Max. And I'm yeah. sure we'll get there, but it's just a. It's I a, can't wait to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's definitely the best part of the movie, I think. But, but here's Ardith Bay. Ardith Ardith Bay uh, sort of roughly translates to death by raw, um, which yeah, you nice know, that, which, which yep. is ironic. Again, spoilers is how we how we kind of end this whole thing. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, so, but uh, the outfit is great. Karloff is, looks so immensely tall. You know, I think he's, I think he's doing the lift things that he wore in Frankenstein and also in like Fu Manchu and every, all the other movies It really gave him that, that altitude, but the Fez, you know, gives him an extra inch or two. And then I think the tightness of his costume 
also accentuates the the line of of him that he just he just looks like a pencil man in that door. He's great. He does. No, he looks about six 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 seven, and you know, yeah. you point me. He's just towering over like you know David Manners, who's around. Yeah, David Manners, who's, who's not a short guy. Yeah, so All right, exactly. Yeah, so, and he really looks a thousand years old. So the makeup is it's a. We'll get back to the plot in just a second, guys. I promise. Um, the makeup's a what what tends to be called a stipple effect now, which is where um speared gum or other other you know chemicals are put on the skin and and the skin stretched out it's put on there and then when the skin relaxes back in the 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 chemical whatever the spear gum or whatever it is on top of it wrinkles um and 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 forms these kind of wrinkles and it's how a lot of old age makeup was done in the time before Uh, a lot of foam latex prosthetics and, and things like that were used like when we get into like amadeus say um or um or uh, the hunger saved with David Bowie. Um, spear gum is not a, it's, it's a chemical. It's not a super pleasant thing to have on your face anywhere. Like even if you're wearing a fake mustache or something, it's really, I can't even imagine the fumes right next to your eyes would have been really uncomfortable. Um, and just the idea that you have a layer on your skin of this, this chemical, the removal of it is also really, really, uh, it can be irritating and, and even painful. So while Karloff spends the rest of the movie not totally you know bandaged and 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 stuff in the mummy outfit this makeup was probably not that much more pleasant for him him to wear uh uh, for the whole thing and stuff i i I, again it's 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 him under a hot lights uh uh covered uh once more and stuff and he's he's such a trooper to to not only pull it off but also to pull off such a performance underneath all that stuff not every actor very few actors i'd argue could do that you know, I've read a couple of interviews with um, Zia Johan back in the day that, and I, I don't know how much this is true, but I guess Karloff, he just seemed like such a character, you know, in so many different ways, but he was kind of looking for sympathy or you know, would do some things to kind of, um, you know, get sympathy from Zeta and, every, you know, other folks <laughs> on the, on the, on the set, you know, and I don't want to say he was complaining about his, his offer, but yeah. yeah, he just seemed like such a character that he would be like, Oh, Jim, so I'm so hot today. And yeah, know, yeah, fetch me my tea or, well, I think, I, mean, I think, I think for some, like, again, this kind of makeup, I think be easier to forget that he's wearing it, you know, and, and that he is wearing something really uncomfortable because it, it disappears. That's the thing. It just, it transforms his face. It's so incredible. And a 40, 45 year old guy, at this point i think he's somewhere around that it's from it looks about our age it looks great i mean you can just see the features and why you know he's cast as frankenstein just wonderful wonderful face yeah, yeah just the way light hits God. him and bounces off of his eyebrows and the, and the nose and everything the jaw and everything like that yeah man it's for sure james will james will nailed it man he what a great face so yeah yeah the, so the actually the unearthing of um Oxenamen's tomb is relatively quickly so it's a cut scene um fast forward just a bit to the cairo museum where we see now adith bay you know, almost holding a, a vigil over the tomb of Anxanam. And at this point, we don't really know a whole lot um, of the relationship between Adith and um, Anxanam, but he's basically, you know, watching over her almost like, you know, as a protective of right. the tomb. And there's a camera kind of does a panning shot of the, of the tomb and the you know, tomb has a, you know, kind of carved out face and a painting of a woman. And there's a really quick shot from, goes from the, the, the face on the tomb to Helen Grosvenor at this party. So yeah, this great movie. It's really cool. It's great. And I mean, I've seen this movie who knows how many times, but I almost have to wonder someone never seen this movie before. Would you get that? There's a, a connection between Oxenam and, and Helen. I'd be curious to, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast or online has seen the mummy a few times, but I'd be curious. Do you, do, would you know that is just instinctively does it tell you there's a connection between Oxenam and Helen? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's tough to view it through, not through, um, 
uh, you know, 20, 21st century lenses too, right. you know, and, and just knowing what we do. And now, now we've had so many movies about someone come back from the dead and decides that this, this modern woman is the, the reincarnation of, of their lost love. I don't know if we've ever done it with the female. Is there, do you have any female mummy movies where like, she's like the guy is like the reincarnation of her. I bet hammer did that. I wonder if like blood from the mummy's tomb or something did that anyway. Um, you know, flip to flip the script on that, on the genders. Um, uh, but we've seen it so much that, that, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine seeing this and not having that kind of like, you know, latent knowledge in your head and stuff. Right. Um, I think it's a, I, I think it does give it away just, just enough, you know, it doesn't totally spell it out, but it gives, you can go, oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a quick scene. So basically Helen is at this dance with um, Dr. Miller and she's just, she's lost. She's out on kind of the patio, just looking up at the, you know, the, the sky and lost in the stars. And, you know, Miller makes some comment that, you know, hey, you've got all these young, handsome British guys behind you. Don't you want to go and dance? And she's like, you know, the old soul, you know, yeah. try not to, to, not to ruin the ending of the movie, but, you know, like just, she's almost, you know, she's definitely an old soul. She's an old soul. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Maybe that's where that comes she's, from. she's lost in the history of our country. Meanwhile, all these, you know, British guys are kind of checking her out and they want to yeah. dance with her and, and everything. So, yeah. Uh, Ziva Johan, who, who uh, is absolutely lovely. She's a Romanian uh, by birth, I think, um, which is funny. She never played a vampire, but yeah, <laughs> right there. Daughter of Dracula, uh, maybe, or I mean, just a great yeah. face. But yeah, it seems like she came with a lot of, and again, who knows what to believe, but, you know, if you hear, you know, the size of Kyle Freund that, you know, Zeta was really difficult to, to work with. And she was, you know, almost blackballed from a different from studios. And then, um, you know, Zeta's side of it that, you know, Freund was awful to work with and, you know, was very disrespectful and everything. So it's not like there was some uh, tremendous, um, you know, relationships on the set between yeah. lady and lady director. R- regardless of those other stories about other studios and, and different film projects and stuff, she, she definitely, you know, I think, I think she was just sort of a woman ahead of her time, a, a professional ahead of her time. And I think she had a lot of autonomy and, and valued the contributions she gave to a project um, at their, at their level, as opposed to just being that kind of starlet, like just happy to be here, just wants to look pretty and, you know, go out for fancy drinks and stuff. Um, I, th- I just, I do think she was, she was very, very proactive. And I think that rattled against a lot of the men that ran studios and productions at the time. Um, I definitely don't think Carl Freund and her, I mean, there was just an oil and water thing. And I think, you know, it, you know, Carl Freund comes out of being a director of photography for films like obviously Metropolis and, and, and Dracula 31. Um, he's, he's a genius as far as lighting and camera. Um, directing is about more than that though. If I, if I dare to speak of my own experience, um, limited as it is, um, directing is also about working with actors and about making actors feel comfortable and safe so that they can do the job they're, they're there to do. What, what an actor does is a very vulnerable exercise and they're, everyone's watching them and, you know, um, and they have to go to someplace very, very, uh, sacred to, to, to do what they do. Um, and it's possible that some directors don't always, appreciate that they they kind of want them to be their puppets to stand there and 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 say say the words and do the thing and then and then we move on and you're under schedules and you're under you know you're you know you're using money as you're filming and some directors get frustrated at an actress or an actor who wants to take the time to really create the character um so it's just you know and it's just two different working methodologies i think and i just don't think they were they were suited yeah and to your point anyone listening to this i would you know you don't have to pause this but maybe make a note 
Go back and read Zita Johan's just her career, her personal life. Like you said, Jim, she really was. She was special. She was different. She was a trailblazer. You use the right word, proactive. I mean, man, what the things that she got involved with in her personal life, check it out. She really was. She had a She was also into a lot of like very fringy stuff, though. She was very, she was like esotericism and stuff. You know, I mean, she, she believed, she actually believed in past lives and she, you know, so, so some of the stuff she's doing. Is, is stuff that's close to her own belief system. And so she's taking it possibly more seriously than other people on set. And that, that, that's again, another recipe for problems, probably. Sure. Anyway, so we are but, back at the museum. So yeah, just after the quick shot of um, Helen back at the museum. So the first time we meet, or I guess I should say Ardeth Bay meets um, Wemple. So I guess they I guess didn't technically meet back in the desert 10 years ago. So Ardeth Bay meets Wemple and uh, Frank. So it's a really quick, kind of a weird Seen in his office, so Joseph Wemple meets out at the bay in front yeah. of the um, Anxanama's tomb, and you know thanks him profusely for his you know contributions to the find, etc. Invites him back to the office, and Frank Wemple kind of you know comes into the office, and then immediately is like, "I got to go." So it's kind of right. <laughs> right, right, right. He's he's sort of busted, um, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of ogling the princess. Uh, um, I like the moment here where, where Wimple tries to shake his hand and tries to take his arm. He's like, I, I just like to be touched. Right. And, and he plays it off as, as he quotes an, an Eastern pre- prejudice. Um, but really, I think, you know, the mummy's vaguely delicate. Um, uh, Miller actually, at one point says, I, I grind your brittle bones to dust or something. So yeah. there's this idea that the mummy might be a little delicate. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, he never lifts anything, right? He's kind of, you know, wisps along almost like he weighs, you know, five pounds, but yeah, he just likes yeah. to touch us in East, Eastern prejudice. And- well, 3000 years old, I'm sure his back hurts and all the other problems <laughs> that come with getting older as a guy, right? As Kalov's real life back probably was hurting him. He probably did not want to be touched. And, this is yeah. true. And he's, I think he's in, I think he's in some kind of corset in this, not to, not to suck his belly in as much, but to keep him that, that erect. I think he's probably wearing some kind of bracing underneath the thing in it because he, he just has this stance that is so not natural. Like he, you know, he doesn't have that S curve that most people have to their back. He's, yeah. like I said, he's just a pencil. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really yeah, quick scene and the office. So you literally Addis comes in, Addis leaves. And then there's a scene, um, I'm assuming just probably minutes after this meeting with with Wemple, that um, Adith Bay is kneeling down chanting over uh, right near um, Anxanaman's tomb. And, um, you know, just a kind of really cool um, lighting and everything. And he's, you know, chanting Anxanaman, Anxanaman. Yeah. And then we see Helen at the dance, all of a sudden come under this I call it like the Dracula trance, just out of yes. nowhere, you know, the leading lady just falls into this, this fog. And right. then there's a gravity, there's a pole leading her away from, you know, this leading from the dance for some now it walks, gets into a, a taxi, needs to get to this museum for some reason. Right. This is really kind of, it's easy to forget about it now, but like, this is kind of advanced storytelling for the era. This is, this is two different characters in two, you know, removed locations, you know, miles apart, having kind of a conversation. Um, and, and it's obviously filmed at a different time. You film one thing one day, film the other thing the other day, and you have to kind of line it up and stuff. So there's, there's engineering that goes into this, but it's really, um, it's great. And there's this one shot. It's been one of my favorite shots in the film of, of Karloff and he's underlit by the lantern. And, and there's just this harsh light blasting up under his chin that just so uh, shows the makeup and stuff. That's really incredible. I know. I mean, it's not the iconic mummy makeup we think of, but it really is. He looks, he looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And so is he he's such eyes. a cool. It's great. Yeah. Just those black, black eyes and his, you know, the skin and 
this is yeah. amazing. So yeah, chanting, chanting. So, and this is when we finally get, um, so take a step back. So Helen is led to the museum, to the locked door. And as she's approaching in her taxi, the Wemples are leaving Joe and, uh, and I won't come David Manners, but Joe and Frank. And Frank. Um, <laughs> Frank and Joe, the Hardy boys. The Hardy boys. Um, Helen trying to get into the museum and she's just pounding on the door like yeah. lifeless arms and totally in a, in a trance and collapses. And I, in my notes, I call this the start of the, the cuckold plot with David Manners. So yeah, here, here's, here's our, here's our love triangle um, that, that David Manners constantly finds his character is trapped in. It's, it's, it's David Manners, character, the pretty girl and the monster. The monster is always after his woman, man. And he does not put up much of a fight for his woman. And this has always been the thing with, we, we have fun with David Manners, but yeah, I, I noticed anyway, she collapses and David, you know, kind of falls in love instantly and, and everything. So, you know, while he's in the museum, so, so, so the, the guys kind of, you know, grab uh, um, Helen um, and, and, and take her, take her back. Cause she's obviously, she's in this kind of like cat, you know, hypnotic trance. She's you know, kind of pathetically banging on the door, trying to get in. She, she's like a sleepwalker. Um, Meanwhile, on the inside, um, a guard comes around and, and notices Ardith Bay sitting. That there's a dude sitting in the museum with a lantern on. Right, like a lantern or fire or something. Just like yeah, sitting. it's like a little, it's a little lamp. Yeah, um, it's a little oil lamp, and it looks like a, it looks like a gravy boat kind of. Um, and uh, you know, not the most inconspicuous thing. Um, and then he, you know, he gets up and he tries to leave, and the guard chases, you know, follows him, and it's dark, and uh, and and uh, Ardith Bay clubs the dude um and, uh, and takes him out yeah it's like they kind of it, it's weird like they he I mean, killed off screen certainly there's a some kind of a a conflict or a struggle you could hear it in his voice like he's being choked or something mm-hmm. and then they later described in the film as he was you know shocked to death or scared to death i mean clearly there is some physicality going on off 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 camera so yeah. I'm not really sure exactly what happened with the guy, but no, I always love that out of Bay. If it's just his ego that he can just conduct like this almost seance right in the middle of the museum, doesn't care if anybody walks in or not, or is yeah. this just him? Cause he's so alien and not of, of the time or place that he's not even thinking of that. Like, I mean, obviously right. humans are like bugs, right? I mean, what's the worst yeah, that's going to yeah, happen? Yeah. If humans going to come in he's going to squash the bug. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's seen people come and go and you know, he's, he's so old and stuff. Um, uh, we did skip over the scene. So before he kills the guard, they do, they do take Helen home and they put her in, in on a, on a couch and um, she's kind of muttering in her sleep. And, and Sir Joseph Wimple is, talking to her and she's saying some things and he speaks back to her and we realize that she's speaking ancient Egyptian. Right. Language hadn't heard in, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And there's really no way that Helen would have known this dialect. And of course Joseph knows that and it causes some, yeah. you know, attention, certainly some concern that he and um, Merla need to discuss this. Yes. Yes. Um, he's, 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 he's dumbfounded and, and, and they're not, um, uh, Joseph Wimple, at least, like he's he's not that much of the he's not um because he's kind of the uh, Doctor Seward character in this, right? You know, if 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 Ever Van Sloan is our is our Van Helsing and Frank Wimple is our Jonathan Harker, then Joseph Wimple is is yeah he's like he's like the Doctor Seward. He's he's a little not as clued in as as Miller, but he's not as clueless as Frank, right? Yeah, no, I mean Joseph's he's putting the it money, He's the money guy. He's the professional. He's got yeah. the house. He's got the grounds. Exactly. That's a great take. Right. Um, and even, you know, Adith Bay at some point, I've got the exact terminology, but basically just says, you know, he's this weak, 
I don't I'm gonna miss up the line. Like he's a weak-minded fool. So Adith yeah. Bay has you know respect for Miller very much like Dracula and Van Helsing. Yes. Uh, Dracula yes. had no use. He, for he's him. he's a bit bit closer to being a peer than than Wemple, yes. who he, he has nothing but disregard for and stuff. But but Wemple's not bad. He's not he's not like Dr. Seward and Dracula was like vampires, what? <laughs> he's not that dense you, uh, poor the poor seward character in, in dracula 31 is just is wandering in a cloud the entire time again we talked about it, like how is he even like the head of an asylum he seems like a total dope now there's so many parallels again between dracula and and uh and mummy uh, yeah. 32 it's really fun to almost go back and just look at the parallels i mean there are just so so many between but, but it shows that it shows the strength of that plot idea and device though that you they could kind of just reappropriate it and dress it a little differently and it still works and it's not um you're not like yeah okay well, that's this again um it's it it's just as thrilling almost it's great and and again it's it's you know, we're a year after um, Dracula and and Freund, who shot Dracula, is allowed to maybe, you know, he's moving the camera a little bit more. He's he's creating some dynamic angles and shots and stuff. He's 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 taking it like just a little bit further uh, than than he did on the Browning film. So, you know, it's great. So I guess this is oh God. so going back to. Dave Manor. So yeah, poor Helen is on the couch recovering and the, 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 the man of doing the men's talk in the other room. And um, yeah, Frank is, he's falling instantly in love. So I guess, you know, there's some, some dialogue that you know, Frank during his time of unearthing Oxenaman's tomb had, you know, whatever fallen in love with Oxenaman oh, right. had uncovered like the tomb and they're, you know, going through her toilet things and her clothing and her personal yeah. belongings that Frank had fallen in love in some way, shape or form with this Anxanamen. And, you know, obviously because they were, they're kindred spirit between Helen and, and Anxanamen, Frank is instantly, you know, instantly f- fall in love with Helen yeah. and is not shy about talking about it. It becomes extremely uncomfortable. And um, I mean, Helen's like, man, you like you, you have no shame, bud. Like I am like almost dead on your couch and you were just putting the moves on me, dude. Um, yeah. She, she's, she's much more, um, <laughs> You get the feeling she actually might be a little older than him, that you know, character-wise. I don't know what the age difference between Manners and, and Zeta. Um, but you know, in in the in the introduction of her character, you hear people at the at that party talking to her, and they say that you know she's her her mother it was Egyptian with a with a family tree, you know, all the way back and stuff. So is you know, th- there's this idea like is she is she actually reincarnated? Or is she the, the descendant of Aksunaman and therefore carries her same, we would call it DNA now, and that's what makes her a good candidate to to put Aksunaman's body back into her, or her soul back into her, I should say. Yeah, it's a good question. Know, but, In, but no, we'll get to it. I mean, there were some cut scenes, you know, there's a kind of whole resurrection right. scene that was cut. I mean, we can talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, I, I don't know. And I think, you know, maybe it was left on the cutting room floor, that that tie, that the true yeah. DNA tie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but even as someone who is of Egyptian heritage, as 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 Frank Wemble's going on and on about like ravaging through all the stuff, she admonishes him. She's like, "How could you?" Right. He's like, "How to science, you know." And she doesn't accept that as a as a thing. Um, Zijerland's really good in this movie. She is she plays it unlike almost any other universal heroine plays. You know, actress plays another universal heroine. She's she's. I was talking about the women in, in these films are somehow sometimes very contemporary feeling. Their performance style is very realistic. Zeta Johan finds these little moments of humor where he's like, 
she's like, so just, there's a line where he's like, you know, we don't know how you got there. And she's like, I, I wish I did. Like yeah, she's, right. she throws things away. Like she doesn't have to nail everything. She just kind of tosses it. And she's, she's funny and endearing. And she's obviously, she's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, she, the, the, the way they have her, I mean, the, the way Vera West gowns her up and stuff in, in this, um, this kind of very low cut kind of dangerous looking kind of almost 20 style, uh, a thing she wears in this first part of the film and look at that she's just a not she's stunning you can see why the mummy's obsessed with absolutely and i just and it, god i know she kind of i mean i think she lets frank in a little bit you know she gives him a little you know peck and, and whatever but i just don't see it. i mean she really does she has the weight of this old soul yes. um this you know god this worldly woman and frank is just such a dope like he's outclassed by her i mean even oh if god. she's not the resurrected not on the same you know mummy he's outclassed absolutely sure. in every in every way shape or form spiritually yeah. everything yeah. like yeah frank is not to her level and i think she's trying to be polite enough but i think to her to her credit of the you know the credit of the screenwriters they do not write her to be this like you know, doubting flower that just, you know, falls for him instantly. I don't know. Not get, at all. Yes. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, she's, you know, she's tired and she's, you know, so, so what you said is true. Like he, Frank is kind of taking advantage of this woman. Who's really not a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, she's almost trance-like and he, he almost apologized. Actually, no, she's, she, there's some passing line. And she says, she's like, you know, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, here I am like laying on your couch, semi-unconscious and you're putting yeah. the moves on me. You're basically like, you know, two inches from my face. Yeah. Um, like, what are you doing? You know? She also, yeah. She also has the great line um, that Rob Zombie sampled for, I think, I think the first White Zombie album where she's like, do you have to, do you have to open up graves to find girls to fall in love with? Which is such a good, <laughs> the way she sells it, it's such a beautiful line. I love it. Great line. Um, might've been with solo album. I'm not sure. Anyway. Um, uh, but but yeah, uh, Miller and 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 Wemple go in the other office to go have a conversation, and and guess who shows up? Ow, oh, Ang Samin does show. No, sorry, um, Adith Bay shows up, of course. And there's some kind of a back and forth between guards now who have found the body at the museum with the scroll. And I know we I don't know if we passed that point yet, Chairman, or not, but um, we should probably talk about that. How they end up getting the scroll. Right. Well, well, in in the scuffle with the guard, somehow Artith Bay actually leaves the scroll of Thoth at at the museum. It's it's a little bit of a confused thing, but but they do get this call like, oh, there was a guard, you know, murdered at, at the thing. So so I think that's what, if I remember right, that's what propels Miller and and Wemp, Wemple Senior out of the house and and back to thing, le- leaving Frank and 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 Helen alone. Right. The most precious, most precious object to um out of bay he leaves he not you know kills a guard and just leaves a scroll which again doesn't make any kind of sense i mean this is the it's, one a, it's a little bit of a of, of, of an ask but it's you know, the one it's thing he needs to bring back is lost love so basically yes. leaves them after he kills the guard leaves the museum with the scroll left behind and meanwhile guards now uncover the body find the scroll and then bring the scroll to um joseph wemple who now has it you know kind of safeguarded in his office so i think around this time Wemple and Miller stop putting the pieces together, you know, looking yes. at, you know, out of Bay um, in Hotep, the scroll, everything. So kind of, it's again, more Miller driving the, the plot along, but I think they're kind of putting the pieces together. This out Bay, there may be more to him than they think. Well, yeah, he obviously has this connection. He, you know, just the idea of him just showing up out of nowhere and, and, uh, and knowing where the princess was and stuff. And then, and then unfortunately, yeah, they, the, the older guys walk out and they find Frank and, and, and Helen in a lip lock and Wemple senior has this moment where he's like the, the curse has, has struck her and through her, it'll strike my son. Like he, he has like a, you know, a little bit of a, like a premonition of like what's happening. 
Uh, yeah, and they never talked about any kind of curse or anything. I mean, the only thing that they really know is that you know Helen showed up a little bit on a trans-like state, a trans-like well, state. Yeah, but yeah. he's t- now he's not talking about a curse. So now is he going back to ten years prior? So now he's now in full belief of what Miller had warned him about. Well, because well, the- Miller Miller questions him on it, and and right. and Wemple Senior's like, well, he. It was stolen, right? Right, and and you get the feeling like this is a story. This this is a story Wemple was forced to tell to again save his position or reputation or whatever. Um, um, but just but it's also a, a story he's convinced himself of, right, up until well, now. And, well, and, no, and 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 all this is starting to crack it crack it apart. I just I didn't understand his his thoughts. So now Helen being, you know, possessed or being controlled by Adith Bay. Is that in his mind now is she cursed? Now does she have the mark of this mummy that you know now by you know physically you know touching or kissing her son is now passing on this curse? It's a little bit confusing. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um uh it it, it I guess it it plays fast and loose with with the the mythology just a little bit um and we can say um uh but uh but 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 it if it doesn't logically totally add up it, it emotionally works right you get the idea like you know he's he's after her and 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 he covets her and and, and he's going to do whatever he can to if he can't resurrect um cuz cuz what what he's trying to do at the museum is resurrect Anksanaman right. herself um and this is stuff with the 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 is it 1999 the Brandon uh, Fraser yeah Fraser mummy movie the the uh uh, uh they 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 i love that movie i just want to say and they 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 really take the nuts and bolts of this story and and play it up in a much bigger grander much more fun you know way but it's that same idea is that the mummy's first instinct is to resurrect the actual body that's lying in the museum and put the soul in, in into using the scroll of thought and then realizes that that's not going to work so now he he figures out that there's this other thing uh this other the soul is is sort of trapped in in another in a present being and this is what propels him to kind of go and seek her out and 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 figure this out because he, as he says later, like this is just a husk of your body, right? Right. It would just be like a zombie if he, you yeah. know, he he could physically make the body of Anxanam and move, right. but it would just be a, a shell. It or would. I have it backwards. He's going to put the soul into the present body. Sorry, like like I said, guys, it, it gets a little tricky, but we figure it out. Um, yeah, now, I think his belief is like the souls, like she's living in it. In this, there's some dialogue here that, and we'll, we'll fast forward right to the end of the movie. But basically, Anxanam and becomes a active character later in the movie like her the personality of Anxanam is speaking through Helen's body yes. and she can feel that there's multiple souls multiple personalities in this body so it's it's a little bit a little bit weird I don't, I'm not sure if even Adith Bay understands really what he's trying to do like he's I think mm-hmm. originally he's trying to just make this the corpse of of Anxanam and yeah. come alive but yeah at some point when he realizes but but, but, but it was revealed to him that Anxanam is actually alive in the that's a right. version of his life in the present. He's got to just put the put the Lego bricks together, right? That's I right. That's what exactly. he's trying to do. Um, there's a great scene where uh, uh, when when Arthur Bay first shows up, the thing um, he's greeted by the house servant, and the house servant is played by Noble Johnson. He's an African American actor, um, and he was he's one of those guys. He was in everything. He was in King Kong. Uh, he's in this. He's in the most dangerous game. He's in. Uh, uh, she wore a yellow ribbon, uh, um, tons, tons of stuff. A really amazing actor, very important in uh, African-American uh, uh, filmmaking circles. He's, you know, just again, he's like one of these guys like Kay Luke in the Asian-American uh, acting world. Uh, he's a trailblazer and he's really important. And, and unfortunately, he's relegated in this to just playing the, the yeah. Nubian servant. The Nubian, um, right. And they play the idea that, that the, the Nubians were slaves of the Egyptians at the time when Imhotep was you know, rocking and rolling around. And 
because of that, he has this sway over this present day Nubian, uh, just out of blood or whatever. It's almost the same thing as this, the, the Oxenamen kind of deal. Um, so he, he's able to instantly turn Joseph Wemple's servant against him and turn him into thing. So in a way, I guess if, if, if the film has a Dwight Fry, right, it's, it's, in this case, played by Noble Johnson, he, he's our Renfield. Yeah, he's a Nubian. It's like up just upon just seeing Adath Bay yeah. um, in the flesh, he become you know, th- there's a switch turn. And you can see it right after he meets the Nubian and the Nubian kneels and, you know, offers his, his undying support of, of Adath. He walks in the room being Adath and sees Helen on the couch and she immediately, there's a, there's a switch. So yeah. is it now the soul of Anxanaman slowly waking up? But now she isn't f- true, full Helen. There's something going on. Again, she kind of enters this, this trans, this, this mesmerized state. Yeah. And now is when I think out of, you know, that final piece is put together that, you know, his long lost love is inside the body. There's something unspoken, you know, now linking Helen and, and out of Bay. Right. When, when he sees her and there's obviously something in her growing, whatever, because when she wakes up and sees him, she doesn't just freak the F out. Yeah. <laughs> this, this withered corpse of a human, you know, staring at her. She um, she's, she's unnerved a little bit, but there's something else in her. And that's what, you know, again, like, like I say, like, you know, if Dracula is kind of the story of, of, of Mina West Western raw slash Harker, if, if, if we think of Mina as sort of the main character of that story, then Helen is sort of the main character of this. It, she's the, the character around which the plot has to revolve. Um, and as an actress, when you're casting, you have to cast someone who who can sto- stand toe to toe with Boris Karloff and, and his ability. And and in, in that, they got you know Zita. It, it's perfect. They're they're such a good pair. Helen even has a, a, a line that says, I'm, "You know, upon seeing Out of Bay, kind of comes off the couch. I, I don't know say jumps off the couch, but certainly rises and says." Yes. I've never felt so alive. So again, yes. you're seeing another parallel with, you know, between Dracula and the mummy, you know, Mina has the same, you know, almost verbatim the same line is that she's dying of this Dracula sickness or the lack yes. a loss of blood. But when Dracula's nearby or Dracula's in the room, she gets, you know, invigorated. It's like the, the second wind. And that same yeah. thing is happening to Helen that if it's Oxenamen's soul now waking up and giving her this, you know, this real Red Bull energy boost. Don't know. Right. <laughs> But it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I have a note about this too. And it's, it's, it is that same thing. And I think it, I think it works. It's, it's the, it's the idea of these Victorian era slash uh, this, this might be Edwardian era um, women who were lived in this society where they're kind of second tier kind of, kind of humans. um, And they're repressed in, in their manners and behavior and their sexuality and everything. Um, they're living in a man's world. And somehow there's this idea that this creature from another era shows up and, and in just in showing up, lets them start evolving beyond these constraints. And we start seeing them, they're starting to turn into the, they're turning into something else, but they're also turning into a truer version of themselves, like an unhindered version. And I think that's always, I, I, I think that's just sort of like the, 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 the crux of the whole thing is that, is that she's getting worse, but she's also, in a way getting better. Yeah. I mean, it's always been the thing with, you know, with vampires and Dracula. Mm-hmm. like, he, he allows for this like sexual revolution, you know, it's like yes. this freeing, you know, freeing thing. So yeah, you could see it, you know, with Helen and, you know, has never felt so alive. And it's a little bit, uh, I'll just say a little bit of an awkward scene. Cause not a whole lot happens. Adith comes in. And at this point, Joseph Wemple and Dr. Miller have an idea of what's going on. So they come out with Frank and confront Adith. And at this point, he's not, he's, he's not under the guise that he's anything but, you know, 
this quote unquote, the mummy and says, you know, I want the scroll and, you know, Wemple says, I I don't have it, blah, 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 blah. So some, you know, a little business back and forth. Ultimately, Adith leaves and the plan is for Wemple to burn this scroll. Yeah. The illusion is not kept going as long as it is in Dracula, where, where Dracula, you know, kind of still maintains this idea that he's just this eccentric guy from, you know, nobleman from Eastern Europe. Um, here pretty quickly, uh, Miller's onto him and, and, uh, Ardeth Bay gives himself away and he says mm-hmm. like, I know that scroll's here. I'm coming in. And so he, he, first of all, implicates himself in the murder of the guard, but <laughs> in doing that, he, he gives himself away that he is the mummy. I mean, this, again, this is almost verbatim Van Helsing Dracula, this showdown, at um you know at the sanitarium i mean yeah. almost verbatim it's you know staring nose to nose so miller and and out of bay kind of have this this battle of wills and right this is when you know miller uses that line you know if, if i had my way i'd you know crush your you know the dried yeah. flesh but you know but you're too strong it, it's it's and it's a mirror of a lot his line in dracula where he's like i will find your earth box and drive a stake through your heart right. you know right um, and and again, talking about actors that can go toe to toe too, like you know, you know, um, it's not everybody. It's not sorry, but it's, it's just not. It's not the character, at least uh, David Manners plays. It's um, it's Ever Van Sloan and his his quiet kind of power that he he exudes, um, standing up to this this ageless, you know, uh, creature of darkness. Right? He's so good. He, he yeah. really is so good. I mean, you could just feel the way you could, you could you could believe that you know just Van Sloan could, could you know I don't know if you could yeah. take him, but the mind, believe that he has, will, a, he, he has a fighting chance, man. He would come with the spirit and you know the ferocity of a of a tiger. Meanwhile, yeah. you know Frank's complaining that the room's too hot or something. Or <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, like why why is Helen not calling me back? He's he's still <laughs> caught up in the hall. It's it's I'm it's hungry. The, yeah, he show, it, it's funny. He shows he shows Artist Bay a picture of himself as the mummy, yeah, which yeah, is absolutely. almost like the equivalent of something showing you a picture they took of you while you were sleeping which is a little creepy right i know but again it's hey. kind of like Dra- it's kind of like dracula where he shows him you know obviously he opens up the mirror of the, yeah, of the smoke yeah. box and dracula's you know put you know breaks it or whatever it's kind of i, I mean I, I was i don't know if i was hoping something different but it would have been cool if Adith had some kind of reaction to that you know seeing himself and i don't know what that that would be but yeah. it would have been yeah. cool yeah. to have like something like he just kind of looked at the photo he's like yeah why are you showing this to me i'm bored yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I love that he's got, um, he tries to, he tries to hypnotize, um, or put a, put the whammy on Wimple senior. And he, he, he has that, he has this big, um, ring that I, I don't know if it's a garnet or something. I'm, I'm sure there's people, some of our, our followers know what type of ring is supposed to be, what's it, what's made out of or, or whatever. So I'd love to hear that. Um, um, and he just points at him. He's like, never, never, never. He starts trying to, you know, speak, speak in ancient Egypt and try and hypnotize him and, 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 um. Miller gets in the way. It's like, we've foreseen this, you know, he's ready right. for it. Um, my question is the, you know, the ring on his finger we see in latter iterations of, of Dracula, uh, even in, in, um, in the Lugosi iteration in Abbott and Costello meet Drac, meet Frankenstein. Um, he's got the ring, you know, the, the Dracula ring and he uses it to, to whatever. And the Dracula rings become a famous thing that Fury Ackerman and, and Guillermo del Toro all, you know, have them and stuff. Um, but but is this the first incarnation of that? Is like that ring is as a thing that he's using to 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 you know exert his? It's like an extension of his will because it, it shows up in Dracula's daughter, right? Three years it later, it does. Dracula's daughter. I mean, you know, House of Frankenstein. It's always yeah. you know the ring. Look at the ring, and the ring will, will yeah. form to fit your finger, and yeah. it's kind of a way for Dracula to have control over his victims. Right, right, right. Good and question. the shadow has a ring, but I think the shadow is coming out right around this. It's a kind of contemporary. I don't think it it, it preceded pre- preceded this. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's interesting question. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, again, it's like, you know, and we talk, you know, Universal just, you know, they 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 freely mix and match their mythologies and, and things kind of filter in other things and grow out of them and stuff. And, and it's why it's such a, um, it's such an incredible shared universe, you know, uh, and we talk about Marvel being like a big shared universe now or DC or whatever like that. But, you know, Universal pioneered this idea of like creating all these individual characters and then eventually having them meet up, which is revolutionary. It's incredible. So you see, I mean, going back to Dracula, you know, when he's confronted, he doesn't always get physical, but he can. I mean, he grabs Renfield and throws yeah. him you know, towards the end of the run. So Adith Bay, you know, obviously he's being now, you know, threatened. The scroll of, you know, of Trath is in this office, but doesn't touch anybody. And to your point, maybe he is. He's just, he's so frail and he's so ancient that literally all he has is this 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 black magic yeah um, you know, he doesn't, magic he doesn't really come in contact with anybody really anybody. yeah he's got like i mean we, we think about that in the tom tyler version you know uh where, where he's we, you know that we always see the mummy and then obviously christopher lee and everybody in uh, lon chain jr where the, the mummy always carries the person away we in that image in our mind is so clear this bandage wrapped guy carrying the woman away but that's again like you know this this film flies in the face of the very stereotype it created. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 Not really like his only, his power is, you know, somewhat in the ring, but it's, it goes to this pool, which is actually yeah. going to take us right to this next scene. So Adith leaves. And then the whole plot is for Joseph Wemple to get his hands back on the scroll that's locked in his office and burn it. And then for the, one of the first times we see Adith in front of his, you know, pool you know literally it's like in his little you know in his little house of horrors looks in this pool and he can see into the office of wemples and basically creates a heart attack on wemple he's got yes, the scroll yes. in the fireplace he's got the match lit and then all of a sudden you need to see you know call yeah. off to squeeze in that fist and he you know wemple grabs grabs his hat and just and dies so yes. this power through through this mystic pool through the 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 mummy closed circuit TV, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> he, he can he has this pool that he can look into, and it not only does show him Wemple in his in his house, you know, alone um, uh, in thirty five millimeter, um, but it 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 also is it, when um, when when Helen comes over, he uses it, it's like a flashback machine too. It's it's a great device. I like I like the idea that he has this mystic pool. So it's not like it's not like the mummy is the only magical thing about ancient Egypt. It's like, there's a lot of stuff with the statue moving at the end and, and, and right. things like that. And the mummy is just one facet of the magic of this era of this place that we don't understand. It's, it's really cool. Right. So scroll is in the fireplace. Wemple drops dead. And then we see the Nubian once again, working under the orders of Adath Bay comes in, removes the scroll and then puts in, just paperwork, so assorted paperwork taken off Wemple's desk, yeah, burns yeah. the paper so it makes it looks like the illusion is that Wemple was successful before his death of burning the scroll. So, right. Meanwhile, it's just his 1099 tax return or something. <laughs> it's his list, 10 reasons why I hate Frank. <laughs> yeah. It's, 10 reasons why my son disappoints me my son's such a disappointment yeah <laughs> um <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough scene and poor guy just like you know dies and stuff like that and then and then we see like it takes a toll on artists too like he kind of you know sags which is uh, after after that yeah. yeah yeah no Before, it is it's, it's it's taking yeah it does it's it's it, that's is his strength like if he doesn't have the physical strength he's got this you know this this mental or spiritual strength that yeah. has its limits you said, I mean, who knows how, if Wemple had survived another 30 seconds, could Adolf have held that, you know, that, that mind lock on him? Who knows? But yes. uh, Adolf, you know, once he drops dead, Adolf kind of falls, 
you know, but I think that's what creates an interesting villain is the limitations that the villain has and the weaknesses they have. Um, Kill it. And and if, if there's, if there's a, and I'm not a guy, I, I was completely entertained by the Tom Cruise mummy movie, this most recent iteration that came out. It wasn't, it's not the mummy 32, of course, but it's, it was a, it's its own animal and it was, it was fine. Um, I like the female mummy. I like, I liked a lot of stuff about it, but one thing I noticed in a lot of these more modern films is that the, the monster, the villain, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's not a clear delineation of what their abilities are and what their vulnerabilities are. Um, uh, you know, um, I think in the, in the attempt to make them so intimidating and, and frightening and, 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 and everything, um, it's easy to, to take any of the humanity away from them. And that's why I just say it's neat that this, like you see, like, um, Imhotep has limitations. He has things he can do that are beyond what humans can do, but he's not omnipotent. He's not able to do everything and, and doing some things takes everything out of him. And it just makes it for a more, um, the chinks in his armor make for a more interesting, you know, back and forth between the heroes. Right. Well, I always love the line and this has nothing to do with, with this moment at all. And I'm not going to even try to impersonate Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but the line in the predator, where oh, right. if it bleeds, we can kill it. We can kill it, right? And I love it. That's so true, right? If you sh- if if a, if this this immortal thing has even the slightest yeah. weakness, if you can put a little chink in its armor, right. you can ultimately defeat it. And yeah, it may be a perilous task, and yeah. God, you might lose your life trying to do it, but it is possible. And, and it's that- a good reason for the for everyone and all the characters in this movie to not just be like, "How about we just go back to England and get away from this guy? Like, <laughs> just give it all up and leave." Um, right. You know, they they have a hope to fight. You know, Miller has a hope to fight, and any any he. he um, does this by presenting Frank a little, <laughs> a little late in the game. You kind of wish he'd given this to Joseph earlier. Um, he gives him this uh, amulet of Isis, or no? He did. Did Joseph have it on him at the time? No, he didn't. He died, and then Frank. Um, sorry, Miller gives it to Frank shortly after and says, "Oh, this was meant for your father, but you better take yeah. it." Oh, is that So he was going to give it to him. He just didn't get him in time. Right. I guess. Okay. Right. That's unfortunate. Um, time um, everything. And 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 you know. There, there's a good moment where where um, Frank Wimble gets to be sort of grief stricken about about his father's death. I guess um, it's not like Sir Joseph was was cut out in the prime of life or anything, right? I mean, but it's still pretty awful. Um, but yeah, you know, Miller has this you know this this dialogue in Wimple's office saying, you know, I'm I know you've got feelings for my because or his his patient. You have feelings yes. for my patient Helen, and I know Helen has feelings for you. And then Frank, you know, gets these googly eyes and, you know, schoolboy giggles like, oh, yeah. oh, do you think so? Do I have a chance? And then finally this asshole, you know, he slaps himself back into reality and says, oh, geez, my father's dead. Maybe I, you know, I'm, uh, this is a little bit, uh, this is a little yeah. bit un- unfeeling of me to be, you know, thinking yeah. about this, this woman when my father literally died like an hour ago. But, but he still, but he still calls her. <laughs> He's a red-blooded American. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Yeah, it's, anyway. it's, it's, it's odd. Um, it's so odd. Uh, but it's, you know, again, I always go into this, like, you know, when your movie is, is how long is the mummy? Is it 80 something minutes? I think it's, 80, it's pretty tight. Yeah. It's 80 or 82. I'd have to look it up. Um, uh, you don't have a lot of time for these things. You have to kind of keep, keep the plot moving along and, and, and whatnot. Um, uh, but, uh, um, they, they, so they, they leave and they get in a little car together with a great little rear projection thing of, which I, you know, I, I think that was probably possibly shot somewhere like Egypt or someplace. Um, and and it's just it's rear projected behind uh, Edward Van Sloan and 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 um, and uh, David Manners as they're they're yeah. in a car and someone's rocking the car a little bit anyway. Um, so so you know Edward Van Sloan's character Miller 
realizes that okay, this 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 wasn't uh, the scroll of thought. This was something else. Yeah. And so before why he and you're so you're you're going to need this now. Yeah. So yeah, before they left the office, Miller, you know, while Frank is still in, you know, La La Land and you know, lovesick for for Helen, he has the you know the minds or at least the the awareness to take a sample of the burnt ashes in the fireplace, right? Just in case. So yeah, somewhere along this car ride. As he's looking over the paper, he probably sees, you know, 1099 in the top corner of a piece of paper and says, oh, shit, this is not the scroll. So we've got we've got a problem here. Yeah, um, we've got we've got a mummy at large. Mummy at large. And he's, and he's got the scroll. <laughs> um, this is that, that part of the, these stories where it's kind of a mystery. And I always like that stuff. It's always just like whatever, uh, you know, kind of a, um, the, the, the heroes have to work it out. It's not just like run fast enough and, and stuff. There's a riddle they have to solve and they have to figure it out. So, um. So, so now that he's got the, the scroll, um, we have, we have the scene where Ardith, uh, kind of, uh, uh, hypnotizes Helen and forces her to come to his, uh, little Casbah type, type mm-hmm. hang, the mummy hangout, right? Mummy headquarters, mummy, mummy HQ. Wherever the pool is. Yeah. His, his hangout. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to me, this is just such a, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Just this whole, you know, gets some into this pool and then puts her. So she's already kind of under a trance, but he does something else. He puts her in I don't know, a deeper sleep or something. He yes. kind of waves his hand. It's like, you know, you, you're going to, you know, you're going to forgot what I'm about to show you. And just a really, really cool scene. So they look into the, into the, the pool and basically go back 2000 years of their, their love when they were, you know, when, when, um, in Hotep was a high priest and Oxenamen was, you know, the princess and she was dying. She was sick on her deathbed. Yes. And he was, you know, in, in Hotep um, was, you know, obviously losing his, his love and would have done anything to save her life. Um, so just, a, just a really, really good scene. Let's yeah, we'll probably take our time with this one. Yeah. Well, he's, so it, it's easy to get it all confused. So he's not, their love in this version is not forbidden uh, as it, as it is in later. I think like, she's supposed to be the virginal, right? the virginal sacrifice or the virginal, um, you know, offerings to the God. Right. Right. Ralph mentions that he's like, right. Uh, those Vestal virgins, maybe got too gay with the Vestal virgins. Um, uh, but um, but but I, I, I help me out. It, 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 their love isn't forbidden. He's just he's like the guy who loves her, right? He loves her and he loses her, and then he yeah. and there's some passing comment that the oh God it, it gets a little bit confusing. But basically, this has happened before that somebody had lost a love and had used the scroll of troth to bring them back, right? And in Hotep is aware of this, and even though it is strictly forbidden to bring you know, give life to the dead. He performs a ceremony on Aksanaman after her funeral and the whole thing and is caught. So literally mid, you know, chanting to try to bring her soul back is caught by the guards and whatnot. And basically um, punished with this, you know, this, 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 you know, being buried alive. He's created, well, she, she's the daughter of the the Pharaoh. Um, By the way, the Pharaoh's credit in the opening uh, credits of the movie is misspelled. Pharaoh is misspelled. Um, someone, someone on IMDb noted that, um, uh, anyway, so yeah, so the princess is buried under, underground in one of the tombs. Um, and Imhotep is a high priest, but even as a high priest, he commits sacrilege in, in bringing her back. He's doing the forbidden thing and he's doing it for love. He's doing it for the right reasons, but you know, the, 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 the powers that be in, in ancient Egypt, uh, don't care. And they, uh, and then they sentence him to, to a punishment for his sacrilege. Right. It's a complete, I mean, it's an absolute affront to the gods 
and is punished in the worst way possible that it's an un I don't say unchristian but um buried alive in any um you know any sacred markings on his tomb or you know scribbled off and it's basically the worst death the worst the worst punishment that anybody could receive yes the the funny if if I may the funny part is is he he sneaks into the princess's tomb right and he and he gets this girl thought and he he um he, he he lights a little thing and he kneels down and he crosses his arms and he starts praying to bring her back right and he gets caught by the pharaoh's guards and, and yep. bring him back and yep. it's, he he tries it again in the, in 1932 and he gets caught again <laughs> like he doesn't learn i mean he just it's like this is i should take the body somewhere else and do it there like or something like there's got to be you know a different a better plan but it's okay he's not um, a wise mummy but yeah the production design in these flashbacks from egypt is 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 off the charts great i mean for for the period and for what they were able to to accomplish with with without a lot of special effects and stuff um and, you know you, you can't you can't have those huge digital shots from the 99 mummy with the chariots and the the you know sphinx and all that stuff like that they're they're all you know making do with what they got but it's um the costumes are great. He's got this crazy leopard, you know, yeah. like shawl thing, kind of like a throw he wears. Well, and they use, um, th- I, mean, I think denotes him his and his rank and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they use these same scenes. If you go, you know, fast forward 10 years later to the Karis yeah. movies, they use for, like these exact same scenes. I mean, obviously they cut out um, Boris's not cut out his face, but you know, they superimpose like, an, you know, another actor or yeah, they, they use Tom Tyler, Tom uh, Tyler I guess, right. I guess in some stuff. Yeah. We never see we never see flashbacks in the Cheney movies, right? We never see Cheney as an Egyptian. No, pre pre mummification, we don't see no, that, right? We never do. No, I think I think someone took a minute and thought about that and said, "Yeah, you know, it's gonna be high to, to high like a hundred pounds." The facial structure is just this. This ain't gonna. This ain't gonna. <laughs> Uh, Tom uh, Tyler and Karloff are a little bit closer together. That yeah, Tom Tyler almost gets away with it, but Karloff really does look great. I mean, he's got these these ropey arms with these big veins and stuff, and he's you know he's, he's got the again the gaunt face and the the really prominent brow, and you're like, all right, I mean, I guess I kind of buy it. So so he's yeah he's mummified alive. There's a there's a, a new high priest standing there with the leopard you know throw on his shoulder that's overseeing it. Um, and these are just these amazingly, I mean, this is, this is the most gruesome stuff in the film easily is, is, you know, Karloff's face and the, Ugh. the fear in his eyes. I mean, next to, next to getting skinned alive in black hat, yep. I think this is one of the scariest, yeah. the most scared I, I see Karloff in you know, as, as his, you know, his, his whole face is covered. He's wrapped up his eyes are, you know, his mouth and then his nose and mouth. And so he's, he's shaking, um, it's it's really you get it like you get the claustrophobia you get the horror of it. I mean, he looks absolutely terrified. I yeah. mean, this is just yeah. good acting. Maybe Koloff was. I mean, I like to believe that. I mean, maybe he was like a little bit, you know, claustrophobic or whatever. He, he does. He looks like he is, you know, ready to jump out of his skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe they hypnotized him like they did Lugosi, right? In that thing <laughs> where they hypnotized him for Black Friday. Which oh we, boy, we we've established that we we think that probably wasn't the thing. Yeah, I think that was BS, uh, but anyway. Um, but they, I really hope it's not Karloff when when you show they show the the two uh, guys uh, after he's after he's been mummified, like pick him up and like kind of toss him into Drop the, him in the tomb, just, yeah. Because that if that's Karloff, that was not good for his back. Because holy geez, that looks that looks awful. Yeah, it's probably they, they kind of like bounce him a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. We'll assume it's a dummy from the uh, the beginning of the movie. And no, it, it, he's moving, so somebody somebody did that, and hopefully hopefully they got paid a little extra for, for that for that dump. Um, but they do they put him in the sarcophagus, and and some someone has thoughtfully carved Boris Karloff's likeness to the to the front of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really good likeness. It's really you know, um, but that's where they we see they scratch out the. Um, as, as Anubis is stand, the statue of Anubis is standing there guarding it. They 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 scratch off all the uh, 
incantations and, and, and spells and things and the ornamentation that are supposed to help his soul go to the afterlife. And that's why he's, he's basically condemned to this living purgatorial, you know, thing, as opposed to going to the, to the happy hunting grounds or the, the, whatever the, the, you know, the go crossing the the Nile or the sticks or whatever, you know? Yeah. No, again, the worst punishment possible. And it's just a really, you know, I call it a touching scene, but yeah, you could see, you know, he's doing everything he's doing, meaning um, in Hotep or Aksana, is out of love. You know, he's loved her he for did. centuries yeah. and centuries. And, you know, going back to like the, you know, Dracula 92, it's like, I've, you know, loved you for, for my, my love has lived for centuries. And, you know, it's kind of the same, the same deal here. So you could see, yeah. you know, not that you understand and not that you can, you know, forgive him for what he's done and the murders and whatnot. But, you know, he is, ultimately it is, you know, trying to find his soulmate and reconnect with his, his love, but right. just a great, great scene. This is definitely my yeah. favorite in the movie. Um, and there's this, there's this famous scene where the, 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 the guys who, who the Nubians who they hire to dig the, the grave are killed by the guards um, so that they can't reveal where, where the grave is. And then those guards are eventually killed too. They t- talk about that. They, they yeah. basically just, just wipe out anyone who has any knowledge of this so that it, his burial is forgotten and, 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 and no one will ever discover this stuff and, until, you know, obviously the British, the British show up. So funny, just a personal story. So now when I, told my dad, you know, over a year ago that, you know, Hey, I'm going to be doing a, a horror podcast from the, you know, the thirties and the forties, mm. blah, blah, blah. I don't know. He mentioned the mommy. He said, you know what, Scotty, the, the worst thing, the, the scariest scene I remember as a child was that scene of the guards being killed. I mean, it's just a, sh- it's a shadow. Obviously you see like the spears kind of going through a shadow, but I mean, and he's not a horror fan. He's not a yeah. universal fan at all, but man, that stuck with him. Was that scene of the guards after, you know, they'd done their business with. It's pretty um, explicit in this version of it. Um, you really do see in that one shot, the Nubian, like there's a, there's a spear going all the way through his bare you know, stomach and out the other side and stuff. Yeah. And there's blood and everything. Um, when we did mummy's hand, what they do, they go through this whole same flashback thing. And I noted that, that that one shot is cut very shortly down. And I think that's the difference between the yeah, the, the the haze thing happening in between this this yeah. movie and the next Mummy movie. Um, that was obviously decided to be a, a much too gruesome for uh, audiences at the time, but it, it stuck by here, man. That's a really gory shot. It certainly is. She wakes up from her. I mean, again, out of kind of releases her from this trance, and she leaves. And for whatever reason, they have to kill her dog. I don't really understand why. I mean, they're, they're pet lovers. Yeah, there's this idea of like, I think his cat kills the dog and there's this idea of fast or, or something. It's it's yeah. a little, it happens, uh, thankfully, off screen and it's a little uh, thing. And I think we can just skate past that one, right, Scott? Right past it. I'm, I'm with you. So basically we get very Dracula-esque once again. So Helen's back at the Wemple Estate and she's, you know, I don't not dying, but growing weaker and weaker and weaker on the couch and again very van helsing-esque with mina understands everything now understands the hold that adith has over helen mm-hmm. understands you know her fighting to you know keep her sanity or keep control is making her weaker maybe slowly making her die um so basically comes up with this idea that next time he calls you go follow the call and basically frank and i are going to follow you yeah. and set out to quote unquote destroy him you know again yeah, he, uses he, that he, word he's they're going to use her as bait use her as bait he wants he wants most um yeah it's very dracula and and again it's that like i said that idea that she's 
she gets weaker the more she she fights it and if she if she just leaned into it she she'd do good but 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 fighting it is 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 kind of killing her really it is again very dracula-esque but yeah um yeah i mean miller had made a point before he you know basically used her as bait that he's tried multiple things they cannot find out of so basically their last play here is to use her as bait so um meanwhile ardith um again goes back to his pool in an attempt to kill frank so again kind of another odd scene so he's very similar to um, what he does with, with Joseph Wample. So he sees Frank kind of muddling around. So I don't know if it's um, the pendant of Isis that saves Frank or whatever. So he basically does the same thing. He's kind of gives Frank this pseudo heart attack through the pool. Yeah. But Frank reaches out to the door and the, the pendant of Isis kind of falls out of his hand. Right. And maybe that's yeah. when, you know. Well, well, Frank Frank has tried to put the pendant on Helen's door, right. thinking it'll protect her from the mummy and and not thinking like, so So when artist goes, goes for him, um, he, yeah, this is a whole bit where he has to crawl to it very slowly and he almost doesn't make it and stuff like that. But obviously his heart's probably a little stronger than his dad's was at his age, despite, despite the fact that we see <laughs> there's about 87 uh, stuffed out cigarettes on the thing next to him when he, <laughs> while he's waiting, um, that couldn't have helped. Well, I guess uh, my thought was, so it was him, so him touching the amulet must have broken, broken whatever link between him and Adath. Would you agree? Or yeah. am I not reading that right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that he finally manages to just get hold of it enough that it, it that it saves. Yes. Yeah, so, obviously. It, yeah. so, so, so we know it works. Yes. Um, but it's, it's sort of uh, ditched after that. Um, but in doing so, he, he kind of loses consciousness and Helen sort of just walks out. past <laughs> right right over him. <laughs> it's like, thanks a lot. Um <laughs> but uh oh man yeah uh, Helen but, but she has to so that we can get to this final scene which is like next to the the awakening of the mummy at the beginning of the film this is like my favorite scene the whole thing where first of all we see zita johan show up in the actual egyptian garb which is just she's a knockout and her hair's down and yeah just you know the, the flowing slippers and the crown and everything like that Every, everything she's and she's she has all her hairs curled in the front so it's looks like she has a bunch of sixes for bangs it's amazing <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, kind of like pseudo fish hooks or sixes. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's wild. Uh, again, again, costuming and, and production design this film. Just like you know, not, not, not. Um, uh, like I would say, archaeologically act totally accurate, but mm. really cool and cool. Um, fun, fun fact: this this kind of uh, weird kind of bikini top type thing she wears in this movie. Uh, recycled several years later for Dale Arden's top in the Flash Gordon serials, but a lot of material was added to it. I can't imagine. You see pro- postcode, pre-code. This is definitely yeah. pre-code. Um, and for a serial, this kind of for kids and stuff. <laughs> like, like there's there's no need to turn like all these kids like like jumpstart their puberty, right? Zita Johan in this thing is just a knockout. She's showing a lot of skin. And I guess, yeah. you know, going again, going back to interviews with you know Zita shortly after this. So I guess Freud had mentioned to her i guess she, i don't know if he's just being a, a, a jerk or maybe just yeah. basically told her and you might have heard of this that this scene was going to be her literally topless yes this was going to yeah and, she, and her knowing that that was never going to happen he kind of or she called his bluff and said yeah that's that's true that's fine sure i'll yeah. do that she's like i'll do it I don't, I don't feel like i don't feel like zeta was was um uh, we talk about being being controlled or hampered by the, the the limitations of your sex in a certain era i don't think zeta felt those those yeah. limitations. I think she was much more beyond all those things. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Definitely. Um, yeah, but but so um here Ardith, you know, shows her her sarcophagus and she's, you know, so 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 she is woken up now as Anksnamen in right. in Helen's body. So that's so right. now 
Helen is is somewhere in the back there, yep. uh, and dormant, and and Oxnaman is alive and quite confused about where she is. Right. No, Helen, like you said, Helen's gone now. The, this next scene is um, Adith Bay and Oxnaman having this conversation, and she yeah. has memories of you know her last memory is her basically dying, yes. being on this bed with her looking over her and, and etc. And I think right around this time is when we have that that cut scene of the resurrection. So somewhere along, for whatever reason, might have just been time restrictions or whatever, but basically Ada shows her, Aksanamen, her whole history, basically how she got from ancient Egypt as Aksanamen. Oh, oh, this is where all those edited scenes yeah. were going to be. Okay. Basically shown so, to, to show her her many lives in that yes. giving up, basically giving up this Helen life with, is you know, almost meaningless. Like life is just life. It, it comes and it goes. She's lived in a number of different forms over the years. And it's, it's an interesting idea and it, and it kind of changes the plot a little bit. So it's interesting that, you know, it, it, I mean, obviously one day it'd be amazing to see a version that has that restored into it. And I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I have, I have a lot of doubts that that footage is, exists or if it did, if it, if it did, I, I think if you, if it did and universal had it, we would have seen it by now. They would have, you know, they would there's, put it out for I sure. I mean, there's, there's YouTube videos of just, I mean, the, sh- the screenshots. They're stills, yeah. yeah. They're stills, for sure. Um, so it's, it's. The, I guess the idea is he shows her this thing, and, and it's what, it's like you see her as a as an early Christian w- with the Romans, and she's going right. to be fed to lions, right? She's, yeah, there's a Roman, she's in the Middle Ages, she's a, you know, Viking raider, I think, at one point. She's, yeah, yeah, she's like, yeah, she's got the whole Brunhilde thing with the... the <laughs> The the, the 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 braids and the horn helmet yeah, yeah. and then she's like a elizabeth or she's like a she's like marie antoinette era woman whatever yep. the era that is yep. like in like kind of court of louis louis the 14th or something um which must have been fun for zita like she got to dress up in all these like amazing cool outfits and play all these you know kind of bits and stuff um it sounds like she's re- it sounds like she's really pissed that this was cut because you, you had mentioned earlier jim she was a believer in reincarnation so i think yes. she loved this this whole idea of you know, I, of showcasing I, this on I, the screen. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she she when she read the script, she was like, "Oh, I can't wait to do it." Almost because of this, this is this is a thing, you know. This is this this dovetails with a lot of my beliefs. Um, this is also the during these scenes was the time where where supposedly she she according to her account she was put somewhere where there were actual lions like living real lions in the same space, and that the camera crew was inside a cage or something. But she was not yeah and yeah. she says that because she wasn't afraid nothing happened uh was her belief and and i'm not i'm i'm there's 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 certain ideas that some of what she said might be misremembered or apocryphal or something like that these are based on like i think some interviews she gave later much later in her life um and who knows if time changed her memory of things or not or if they were completely accurate i have no idea um yeah, but I mean, it's another example of, of it, it it seems like it seems like Carl Freund uh, definitely created what we would call a hostile working environment. It certainly sounds that way. And again, you know, 90 years later, we're still talking about, you know, did Freund cut these scenes because they meant so much to Zeta, you know, just to be, oh, yeah. just to be a dick or yeah, with, yeah, literally did he with, with a time restraints with the movie that yeah. it had to be yeah. 70 minutes or 75 yeah. minutes. I mean, to, to be, to be fair, like, I don't, I, I've read other accounts of, of Carl Freund that, that besides Zeta's that, that mentioned he was not maybe the most personable guy. Uh, as a as a director uh, uh, you know no one discounts his ability as a as a as a visual storyteller per possibly his his his, his interpersonal uh, uh, abilities anyway. picked on david we're picked on david man as enough so that's time to the <laughs> yeah if you can't make up fun of germans in the 30s who can you make fun of exactly um anyway uh so so 
the the way Ardith or Imhotep, I should say. Um, by the way, Imhotep was a real Egyptian. Uh, the the name is 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 a factual Egyptian. He was an architect. He actually Imhotep was a actually really important because he uh, designed one of the earlier pyramids before the great pyramids of Giza. He directed a, he uh, designed a pyramid called the Step Pyramid of Zoser. So he was sort like of the gobot. He was sort of the gobots to the later uh, transformers. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of designed the less impressive version of the thing, um, and then and then someone else came along and kind of copied it and did uh, it better. As an '80s kid, you just made my day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that, always, that analogy always works. Um, uh, uh, I love it. We can do. But, we can do but, GoBots. We can do Go, a GoBots podcast. So Im, Imhotep, uh, he, his way of sort of reintroducing Oxenomen to like what's going on is sort of. Uh, it's, not, it's not super. It's kind of traumatic. He, he he literally picks up her body, her actual body that she lived in when she was in ancient Egypt, and puts it in a chimney and sets it on fire. Which is, she's still like catching up to this idea that she lives in a world with cars and stuff, right? And and right. there she she watches her body burn, and yet still has that you know not not the attitude, but just this she has this princess. Oh yeah, um, attitude that you know I'm you know why, why are you showing me? I shouldn't see your unclean things, or you know I'm a princess, right? She's um, she's not meant to be uh, with with dead things and stuff. She's right. she's meant to be yeah yeah protected from these things. It's it's an interesting yeah she she uh, she comes up you know you you, you feel sympathy for Oxenamen. I guess, because this is sort of against her will. Like she's not meant to be, she's meant to be dead. She, she lived a life in ancient Egypt and she died and she's meant to be dead. And, and because of his obsession of, with her, he's broken the laws of, you know, you know, life and death and trespassed and things that, you know, people aren't supposed to, to know about and, um, and brought her back like without her permission, like he's violated her kind of yeah. right. Her soul. And really, I mean, to me, that probably the, the only human things, and Hotep even says in the movies, like they're having this go back, this back and forth. And, you know, she's kind of pushing back on him. And he looks at her and says, you know, I was buried alive for you. Like, yeah. I think it was like, the, it was like, for thy sake, I was buried alive for you. So to, it, this is like the first bit of humanity now coming out of him. Like he's pleading for her. Like, look what I have done. I've look suffered. Done for you. Yeah, no, exactly. I've suffered the curse of the damned for you. And this exactly. is the way you're going to exactly. treat me. Like, he's like, no one has ever suffered the way I suffered for you. But, right. but it still, it still rings kind of like, but you don't return my texts, you know, like <laughs> there's still this sort of petulance about it and stuff. It's, it's odd. Um, uh, but he, uh, you know, he touches her in the arm and she sees she sees the dust that he leaves behind that he, he tends to leave wherever he goes he's like right. he's like a pig pen in in in, in charlie brown right um and so you get this idea like he's constantly like sloughing off like, like, yeah um, get, yeah right he's just he's dead he's he's just this thing like he's not yeah. he's not the man that he that she loved he's just like right, this, right, right. This thing and like, that's what she she realizes she's like you're just you're just like a walking mummy you're not the guy i was in love with right. and stuff. so so the thing he's the thing he's done to himself in in the hopes of of reuniting with her is the thing that that repels her actually like he's turned himself into he's turned himself into a monster i mean i guess it's that simple it's it's hard to it's easy to get caught up in details but that's what he's done he's turned himself into a monster so, willingly right again so reaches out so i um i want to call her helen but she's not really helen at this point she's princess oxenom and yeah, reaches also the nubian you know basically preparing for her death this whole you know ritual on 
Well, they're going to, they're going to basically dunk her in this like liquid hot. It's like Natron. It's like salts or something like that, that I think is going to like, um, you know, th- start doing the job of her. So, so, so the idea is that she's, she's her, her soul has now been resurrected, brought back, put back into this body, but now he's got to kill the body somehow yeah, and make was... her a mummy like him. Like he, he, he wants her to be like him. He wants, if, if he's a snowman, he wants her to be a snow woman. Right. I wasn't sure like the, the whole timing of her, of her death. Cause it's right. He's got the, the Nubian kind of mixing up the chemicals yeah. and then she's kind of being prepared to be taken to the altar yeah. where he looks like he's going to drive her a dagger through her heart. Right. 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 Either he's going to kill like the, and I think in his plan, like I think he's going to kill Helen and, and in killing Helen, he, he frees Oxenaman to like be whatever. Mm-hmm. But again, I think he, he's not happy with her being, a human and him being just a, you know a resurrected soul in the human body and him being a mummy he wants her to be a mummy too because he's just like that he wants a bride right he wants to, they want to be things like you know yeah. exactly so they want to have things in common right you know where they you know slough off dust wherever they go and <laughs> just they, make a mess everywhere yeah you can imagine them at home and she's like constantly having a vacuum because <laughs> they just shed everywhere oh gosh trying to make babies and just imagine like the dust cloud and you're just choking on the dust you're like, oh. <laughs> it's a bad idea um uh, so then yeah he picks up he so so you know he he basically tells her what he's going to do to her and she's getting more and more scared and then he picks up what is possibly the scariest knife the idea of being stabbed with this this thing is the scariest thing like it is it's a it's a giant piece of like hematite or something like that i guess and you know it's carved and stuff like that and it looks like it's it doesn't look like it's very sharp (laughs) exactly getting stabbed with it would really hurt it is really dull this thing is going to friggin' hurt going in yeah um, and yeah, basically kind of pleads for the Nubian for help. And then he pulls yeah. out, you know, kind of raises that ring again, um, frightens off the Nubian. And now yeah. Oxenaman's kind of, you know, check back into, I don't know, again, under like another spell or whatever. So basically is now succumb to what um, Inhotep wants to do. Yes. So basically, you know, lays out on the altar and is preparing for this death. And then we hear da da da. David Manners, Frank comes in. She hears his voice and kind of wakes up. So I think now we've got it's not it's not Helen back, but it's Ang Salaman slash Helen. Yeah, I think I think her um Ang and Helen are su- suddenly uh, united by their common fear of Imhotep. Yes, like like they're they're they now they have something in common, right? <laughs> it's like. Right. I don't know if it's like Anxanaman just woke up from the trance, but I feel like, yeah, it's Anxanaman to tell him because it's definitely Anxanaman because she then turns to um, the goddess um, and basically begs for help, um, yes. which obviously Helen would, wouldn't have known. Helen wouldn't know to do or whatever like that, but, but, but it's a nice, um, it circles back to where Helen is unconscious and she's speaking ancient Egyptian. There's this whole idea like, 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 I mean, I guess a neat way to think of it is that, is that Anxanaman is inside her this whole time. And maybe what he, the spell he does, like brings that, that thing inside her to the forefront. Yes. So it, it's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Like, like, like she yeah. gets to play this kind of dual personality thing, which is pretty fun. It's pretty cool. It is great. Um, so, yeah. So they basically, you know, begs for this, you know, the goddess and, you know, admits to that she is, you know, sinned. And basically now yeah. we see, you know, I guess another supernatural 
piece of this movie. So literally this, the, you know, the goddess is on or comes alive. Yeah. And it's kind of like this, you know, lightning bolt off screen that then burns the scroll of Toth, which upon the incineration of the scroll basically kills in Hotep. So now his gateway between the living and the dead has now been severed through. Yeah. Through the yeah. Scroll. Yeah. It, it dehydrates him quite quickly. It's like, it's like you got put into a beef jerky machine or something. And, uh, and whatever. Um, I think it's important to note that the men show up and do F all to help the situation. He they just shows that. him the ring and they're like, Oh no, it's the ring. And they kind of like, you know, wither away and stuff like that. They, they show up at the, at the nick of time to do nothing at all. Again, there's, there's a handful of movies. It's all Helen. Helen. It's all Helen and, and Oxenama. There's a handful of movies in, you know, the universal town that has like the really great proactive protagonist women. And yeah, yeah luckily this is one of them. This is a you know, really strong. And, you know, it seemed like the actress and the, you know, in this, this role, they were very similar. They're just, they were strong, strong-willed proactive women and it's nice to see finally a movie that you know has a you know got a strong a strong lead like this yeah um, yeah a, a, a very unnecessary uh young male lead in the, i mean frank wemble really doesn't do much to help anything in the whole movie um this might be even worse than jonathan harker i'm not sure um but uh um, there's a great moment where, you know, uh, uh, Isis uh, uh, raises up her ankh and thing and it, and it flashes and, it, and again, like you said, it, it torches the, the scroll um, um, and, and, it, and it suddenly starts aging um, the mummy, Imhotep, back into his mummy form. And they do a lot. They do the, um, they do the, the Wolfman thing. They do the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the cross, the, the lapse dissolve thing where I think they, they had him, had Karloff braced up in the, in the makeup and, and did a bit and then had him, you know, took, took some shots, had him leave, have more makeup done by Pierce, come back, do more stuff. So what we're talking about is like a 1932 version where they're, you know, uh, uh, I assume it's Balderson, um, you know, who, who did, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Invisible Man, and then into the Wolfman. He did all the optical effects uh, in uh, for Universal for a while. Um, I assume it's him doing it, and in, in a way, it's like him starting to create that process that eventually we would see later on in in, in the Wolfman. It's like really perfected. Yeah, and again, they don't show it a whole lot on screen. You just see the quick little, you know, yeah, goes quick little shot of like the skull, and then off screen we hear kind of the bones collapse. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, and then we see the, the things like that. Um, um, is is this is this the first Universal horror movie that has the plane flying around? Because he's um, I know Dracula just has the the the, the flat Universal logo at the beginning. Dude, that's a good question. I don't know. It might not be the first Universal film to do it, but I wonder if it's the first in film in the Universal horror cycle that that, that does that. I'm just curious. I I meant to say that at the top of the episode, and I kind of forgot about it. Um, um, I mean, we've, like great, that sounds like a great trivia question for the listeners. Let's let's I want to hear it. Anybody, anybody, let me, let me know. I'm, I'm sure someone will know, will know uh, more about it than, than we will. Um, you know, I mean, we we kind of, you know, criticized a little bit or, or, you know, by by way of story, criticized Freud a lot on this thing. But he really does. There's some moving camera stuff on this. And there's some very interesting edits. And stuff. Like, again, like I talk about James Whale creating new grammar in filmmaking when he gets into doing um when he, when he does frankenstein then he gets into doing invisible man but but um Freund's doing some of his own stuff too like here this is i believe this is his first solo directorial credit um of, of anything he did um up until this he was just a director of photography or cinematographer um but this is this is him you know let loose and he's really i mean he really nails it i mean the film looks just off the charts good right it does and i cannot believe and i know it hit this film i guess i, I mean i had heard rumblings of it i i've always liked this film i mean i don't know if it's in my top 
probably not my top five or six, but man, there's a lot of people that are very angry with this film. And it's the lack. I mean, you just see it over and over again. It's the lack of action. It's a lack of mummy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think people get so sucked into that and they just cannot shake, you know, shake that fact that it is. I mean, it's a little, again, Dracula-esque. Once you leave Transylvania, it does get, it gets a little stagnant. And this there's, movie- There's a lot of stuff that takes place in living rooms. Exactly right. Uh-huh. A lot of stage work, right. And yeah. this movie is a, a little guilty of that. Like, it's definitely not the action adventure that you think of when you see The Mummy. And if you're a kid, you know, if you're a 10-year-old in 2022, you're watching, you know, the movie The Mummy, 32, yeah. you might be a little disappointed. But, you know, as an adult, you really should be able to appreciate this film. I mean, the, the sets are great. Well, yeah, I mean, on its, on its own merits. And and I don't know, I don't know being, being disappointed that a film from 1932 doesn't give you what you want to watch. Right. <laughs> I think you have to, you have to put yourself into a, into yeah. a mindset of like this, this is the era. And this is, this is a, this is a first initiation of this character into Like I, like I was talking about like pop culture mythology, right? Oh, I mean, um, it's early, fi- early filmmaking, early sound. Like you yeah, have yeah. to, you, I mean, you've got yeah, to. Re- sounds only been around for three years at this three point. Years, right. Yeah. It's pretty new. Um, but, but, um, but, but, but it, in doing that, I mean, I, I get what the people are saying. And, and obviously you watch some of the, the Christopher Lee hammer mummy films and he's wandering out of the bog and stuff. And, and it, you know, we're that, that starts influencing our zeitgeist of what, you know, what we imagine a mummy is supposed to do. Um, I don't think Karloff could have picked up Zita Johan and, and carried her at this point in his life because he was still recovering from the injuries he sustained on, on Frankenstein. I think that would have been a, a big ask for him to do that. And yeah. maybe, that's, maybe this is, again, we talked about that. Maybe this is why he didn't want to be touched. Like, he's just like, just don't touch me. Right. This is not, when you're a really phys- in pain. You're like, just don't touch me. Right. No, this is not a physical mummy. Everything with him is, you know, is he's magic. a mastermind. He's like a bond villain. Huh? Like I said, like, you know, he, he's, he's his own kind of thing. And I, but I just think he, in, in what I would say is, is that in those just like a couple frames where we see him moving as the mummy and even as Artith Bay a little bit, what he did was create the idea of how a mummy moves, right? A mummy doesn't move like a vampire and doesn't move like a wolfman, doesn't move like a, 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 a you know Frankenstein monster. A mummy has this slow plodding movement that that it's it's I always talk about the the Pepe Le Pew thing, right? No matter how fast you run away, the mummy's just walking real slow, but he still somehow catches up to you. And right. you watch you you watch like the Johnny Quest, you know, episode uh that, that the mummy's in or or anything else and stuff and and until very recently you didn't have it's like zombies right you didn't have these like fast moving things but there is this sudden and ine- there's this in- inevitability to the mummy coming for you that nothing is going to stop it What's and you can't reason with it you know it's like the terminator right you just yes. he just slowly comes at you and you can't get away you can go through walls you can go through everything um and he's gonna get you um one thing and really to some degree Karloff creates that that at least that that physical idea yeah no one I mean one thing i really liked about the karis mummy is that he is imperfect i mean he is a sh- he's a shambling mess yeah and especially in the second film when cheney starts playing he's got like that gimpy leg and yeah he, yeah yeah and, and, and his and his one hand is like like still right. secure to his chest and all that yeah yeah that's right i mean he looks like uh god like yeah he's been through a battle and yeah he's still dangerous enough to kill whoever gets in front of him so yeah. um yeah, as as a monster, I think the mummy itself is one of my one of my favorites, definitely. Um, and I can, yeah. I mean, I can understand some of the frustration and you know, folks that don't like that. But you have to again, just just appreciate when this film was made, how early on in cinema, in in movie making, and sound, and and acting, and I mean, the talkies. Oh, yeah. This is like one of the the one of the 
God, the first oh. movies of the of the talkie hour. And just yeah, I was talking about it. I mean, it, it's it, it's the prototype. It's it's you know, right. it's it's, 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 it's the thing. Um, yeah, it gets the ball rolling and stuff like that. I, I I love the movie. I think it's a masterpiece. I watched I watched this once a year at least, and stuff. Um, more than more than I watched the sequels. I enjoy the sequels, but this this is my mummy film. To be honest, um, I uh, I just I just dig it. I dig Karloff in it. I we talk about Lugosi and believing that a, a character is thousands of years old and, and, and Lugosi being one of the actors that c- carries that off best in Dracula. Um, and I think Karloff does the same thing. Karloff sells the idea of this, of this ancient, ancient creature brought back into our modern, you know, well, yeah. 1930s modern world, at least. Um, exactly. He sells that age and, and the tiredness and, and, and the, 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 the longing and stuff. It's really interesting. Yes, Man so- out of time is great. He's so patient in his, yeah. you know, in his line deliveries and just in the act. Like you said, he's just so slow moving, like through marmalade. Yeah. Um, it's so like a well glacier, done. like coming for you. Yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. So. so well done. I'm glad we got to this one, man. So we've done, we've done Dracula. We've done Frankenstein. We've done the Wolfman and Invisible Man. We've done this one and Phantom of the Opera, right? So Phantom of the Opera, we've got, yeah, I mean, Creature of the Black Lagoon. And we certainly have one of the one of the high points, but yeah, yeah, Creature's coming up. That's great. I'm glad we finally got to this. Now we can get into the, the sequel ones too, with like the female mummies and all that stuff. And it should be really fun. I love it. Absolutely. So this has been a total blast. So glad we're back on, uh, back on the train again. And, um, yeah, yeah. What a happy 2022, movie. everybody. We got, we got good stuff coming out this year. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to cover some good ones. We're going to have some cool guests on the show and stuff. It's just, just hang in there with us. We're going to keep them coming for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jim. And thanks everyone for listening to the Bogo pass hard podcast. We will see you soon. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.